This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Go, hey. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to a Friday edition of A's Cast Live. I hope everybody is doing well. We have a fantastic show for you, as always, coming up on this program. Our baseball insider, our national baseball columnist, Eno Saris from The Athletic. It's a Friday. He's going to be here. And then a very special interview We've got Joe Madden, a World Series champion. Is he two or three-time manager of the year? Three-time manager of the year. Three-time manager of the year. Obviously, uh, the way things went down in Anaheim, pretty ugly. He's now written a book with Tom Verducci, and we're going to obviously uh, promote this book, but a lot to talk about with Joe Madden and – it's an honor to have him on the program. So Eno Saris will be here. Joe Madden will be here. And uh, that's going to be at 1.30 and 2.30. I thought today I was going to be saying, I told you so. Even though I don't like to tell you I told you so. But it was going to be a, what were we talking about all season long? Why are we even discussing a guy who is unique, who is doing something incredible, But this award that we give at the end of the year, I can go in my house and get one for you. I do have a National League Most Valuable valuable Player trophy at my house because my grandfather won it in 1947. It says Most Valuable. Doesn't say Most Unique, Most Crazy Performances. No, it says Most Valuable. And it was like an argument at the ballpark every day about what Aaron Judge was doing for the Yankees and what Shohei Otani, you know, it's not most unicorn. But everybody was like, well, Otani's doing something we've never seen. It's unique. We've never seen it before. We may never see it again. All of that doesn't say valuable. And I kept looking at people going, yeah, Judge is going to be the MVP. 
And I can't tell you how many people argued with me about that. We have our own booth in Oakland. It's the A's cast. It used to be the visiting. It's almost like we kicked the visiting GM out over the years. It used to be the visiting GM. Oh, wait a minute. Ricky's down, everybody. Hold on. Ricky's down. Hold on. Got to get Ricky back. Got to get Ricky back. All right. Um, so we have our booth. It used to be the visiting GM booth. It's now the A's cast booth. It is ours. It's really me because these guys hardly work. They're in. They're out. They're gone. Um, so people stop by every day, remember? They wanted to argue with me about it because yeah. I kept saying on the show, Judge is the MVP. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. But we will get to that. Because today, it's not a sad day because he's not going anywhere. But it is finally a day where we can actually say, okay, there is a change. I, I know there is, when you're a big personality, when you're somebody that has made change, You'll hear all the time on this program, we'll talk about how people don't like change. People don't like things to be different. I understand that, and I respect that. I deal with it a lot in my life. You deal with it in your life. You don't like change. You just want everything to be the same. Why? Because it's comfortable. That's why people don't like changing jobs. They don't like changing relationships. They don't like changing cars or insurance or houses or apartments or whatever. Because change means eh, it's different. I like being comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with those feelings. That's why the average person in the United States will live within a certain mile radius of where they grew up. The average person does not fall far from the tree. You know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We're talking about kids and their parents. The average American will still live very close to where they grew up. We're two opposite guys. Yeah, we're, right? we bucked that trend. We totally bucked that trend. And, and I've had to, you know, my wife, where I live in a place called in San Jose, I live in Willow Glen. My wife grew up Almaden Valley. She's a great, she literally is 10 minutes, well, really without lights, like, a couple minutes, but, you know, she's right where she grew up. That's where most people, that's what they do. Even when they go away to college, they come back. Cody and I grew Cody grew up just outside Pittsburgh. Correct. I grew up in San Diego. And it's still funny. People say all the time, well, you're from San Diego. I've lived my entire adult life in San Jose. Now you've lived here longer. Like, by a lot. Yeah. Right? But, you know, I, I never moved back. But most people don't. So it's like change is something you don't like. And today, we knew this was going to happen. But it's really worked out for the best. That Billy Bean will now be taking the role of executive vice president. Well, he was the executive vice president of baseball operations. He'll now be senior advisor to the managing general partner, which is John Fisher. So basically... Billy Bean, as a terrific business mind and baseball mind, John Fisher is understanding. This is just the way that I see it. We will have Billy Bean on the program. Let him explain it. 
But John Fisher knows he has this great mind that he doesn't want to say, well, go do something else, and thanks for everything. John Fisher is being smart by saying, I want Billy here. I want him around because what he's done for this organization, what he can continue to do for this organization, and what Billy can do and help John Fisher in other businesses that he's involved with. Because at some point, Billy was just not going to do this forever. Billy has a lot of interest. So by taking Billy into this new role, you keep Billy in-house, but give Billy the flexibility to do other things in his life because Billy likes change in some ways. Billy likes the comfort of being still with the A's, but likes the ability to do the other things that he likes to do. And he gives him that freedom. What changes for David Forrest? Nothing. As you're going to hear as we have all the uh, we have uh, all the sound from, I don't know if you know this, but we had some calls today with both Billy Bean and David Forrest with the media. And nothing changes. David Forrest, still the general manager. Now David Forrest really doesn't have to, like, include Billy in decisions. But, you know, they have this long – I mean, they're like best friends. So it's not like – if he needs Billy, Billy's there. But now he doesn't ever need Billy's, I guess, agreement on something. He can just do it. But not really much has changed because they think alike anyway as Billy raised David in this system. You know, it all starts with Sandy. Billy was raised by Sandy. David was raised by Billy. So really what Sandy Alderson started many moons ago is just going to continue through David Forrest. And it's pretty much, you know, business as usual. But if you look at the ticker right now on MLB Network, it's going to say Billy Bean, new role with the A's. I I can't imagine where this organization would be. What would have happened if there never is a Billy Bean? Like, what would it have been if you just had some random, not big personality, not not Billy Bean? What if you just had one of these guys? I mean, there's all kinds of these. Sig Meidel. Sig Meidel from the Orioles. Friend of the program. Who's from San Jose. You know, he was one of the. UC Davis. He's a NASA guy. Former blackjack dealer. Numbers. He's assistant GM for the Orioles. They're talking he may go back to the Astros. He's one of the guys that was with the Astros as they were rebuilding. He has no personality. Like, if that guy replaced Sandy Alderson, what would have happened? you got to realize Billy Bean kept things in a direction of a family atmosphere. As Keith Lippman just retired after 54 years. Billy Bean didn't come in, clean house, get rid of everybody, and I'm going to do it my way. There's always been an Oakland A's way to do things. It's about family. It's about loyalty. It's about continuity. It's hard for people to go and crap on that. There's a lot of things in this organization that have been done through the years, and every single organization. 
that you can nitpick and find stuff that you don't like. But you cannot dispute the commitment, loyalty, family commitment that the A's have shown to a lot of their employees for a long, long time, especially in baseball operations. Now, other departments can, whatever happens, happens. Inside baseball ops, everybody has been there forever. Forever. And that's because Sandy, Billy, to David, they've all been raised to do it this way. And it's very admirable in today's climate, in today's baseball, in today's professional sports, because that just does not happen. And it really is the one thing inside for us on the inside that to me means a lot is how they have done that. It has been like a mom-and-pop shop. But for the significance of Billy Bean, the A's have won. I do this all the – you know what? I'll do a little thing that I've done for years on the postgame show when people want to come in, bitch and complain, and bitch and complain. I want to remind you of something. The success under Billy Bean under – what he's had to deal with as the leader of the Oakland A's. So under Billy Bean's leadership, so he took over in 1997 after the season. So he's he's the he was as of today the longest tenured baseball executive. Brian Cashman took the gig at Semantics in '98, but they both basically took over for the '98 season. Under Billy Bean, since he took over, technically in 1997, the A's have been in the playoffs 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2006, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2018, 2019, and 2020. That's a lot. With all the stuff. Not having this, not having that, don't have this, don't have that. That's a lot of playoff appearances, and that's because of Billy Bean. The br- I would say seven ALS titles in there, too. The brand, relevant. Why? Because Michael Lewis said, man, this is a really interesting story. How do these guys who don't have all the fixings, how do they keep winning? And he showed up and he found this character called Billy Bean, and he wrote a best-selling book that, literally exploded around the world to where just not sports people were reading it, business people were reading it. It was like a business book. Which uh, which Ivy League school has a Moneyball uh, class? Isn't that Wharton, the University of Pennsylvania at Wharton? I don't know. I'm asking you. If I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was Wharton that teaches. Is the, it Penn? Yeah. So Penn, Ivy League school, University of Pennsylvania. I mean, I know Harvard or Yale has done something on I mean, business schools look at the book. I thought it was Penn. I don't, I don't know if, that, if it's an easily. It's an Ivy League school. I just remember that. And then one of the biggest names on the planet wants to play Billy Bean, and that's Brad Pitt. And not only is this movie a success, the movie's up for an Academy Award, an Oscar. 
Pretty big deal. All that time, that kept the A's, this brand, relevant. Relevant. As much as you see behind me, the Coliseum, and I love the Coliseum. I grew up there. All the memories. This brand was becoming so irrelevant, Billy Bean's the one that kept it alive. And every year, the business is worth more money, more money, more money, more money, more money. You look at what the current ownership paid for it, what it's worth now, it would be well over a billion dollars. But it was Billy Bean who kept this brand alive. Like it or not, that's the facts. And I've been to Japan with the Oakland Athletics. And because of Billy Bean, there are a lot of fans in Japan because of Brad Pitt in the movie Moneyball. Hideki Matsui a little bit. Remember, he didn't do a whole heck of a lot for us. That was Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean. People around the world. Who are we talking to? We were talking to somebody. It was when we were honoring the uh, O2 team. It actually might have been Billy, where he was talking to this guy who was one of the uh, Ferrari race car, Ferrari racing guys, who's buddies with Billy. It might have been we talked to Billy about this. Guy knows nothing about baseball, but loves the A's and got to know Billy and reached out to Billy because he saw the movie Moneyball. This was global, folks, is what I'm trying to tell you. As I mentioned about change, majority of you never leave far from home. You stay where you live. This is global, planet Earth. Moneyball affected the planet. It was everywhere. Everybody watched the movie. The book was translated into all these different languages. People around the world read the book Moneyball. Based on what? Billy Bean. And he's ours. And I've been very fortunate. I don't talk about it all the time. Because then it's going to make me look like a homer. But Billy has been very good to me and my family in a lot of ways. I've known him a lot. I've known him since the 90s. And he's taking care of me. And I will always owe him for that. But when I speak about him, it's through the lens of fact and reality. I remember years ago, I was down in L.A. I was basically battling for a job to do afternoon drive on ESPN Radio Los Angeles. And they were looking for a a partner for this guy, Joe McDonald, had been there for years. So I was auditioning, and I made it to the top two. And they were the Angels station at the time, ESPN Radio Los Angeles. And so it was an interesting time. My wife was pregnant. Um, You know, I'd have to move to L.A., which, God, I was like, I do not want to do that. But it was a huge opportunity for me. And I was actually on the Angels station. And I'll never forget, this was like one of my last days auditioning. I quickly called Billy and like, hey, man, I need you to come on. And I mean, he's at his height right now. Moneyball's already come out. It's Billy Bean. And, of course, he came on, did the interview. And I remember some of the people going, you know what? So what? He hasn't won a World Series. 
And I went, hey, listen, okay, I'll give you that because I can't say he didn't win a World Series. But it's bigger than that. What what happened around this organization, this brand, Moneyball, the whole thing, was bigger than that. Yeah, he could have won a World Series. Yeah, it's a World Series ring. Great. And you know what you know what'd be happening? We'd be bitching that we haven't won a World Series since two thousand one, right? People be calling the postgame show, we haven't won since two thousand one. Billy changed the game of baseball. We'll get into this after Eno Saris. I asked him the question today. Because we know, and I know, that all these executives that are in their 40s and in their 30s, and now these kids who are coming in and getting jobs in their 20s in baseball, and they got fancy degrees, they went to fancy colleges, they could go somewhere else initially and make more more money, but why do they want to be in baseball? Moneyball. They saw Moneyball. They read Moneyball. They were inspired by Moneyball. They were inspired by this character, Billy Bean, that made all these really smart people go, I want to do that. Because Billy Bean made being a GM an actual somebody. We talk about it all the time. Why do these GMs want to script these games? Why do they want all this control? Because they want to be the star. When a team wins the World Series, we used to say, hey, look at the manager. Look what he did. Hey, look what our star player did. No, now they want to go, hey, look at me, the front office. I built this. I created this. I'm the guy. They all want to be Billy Bean. And they all tell you. We've had multiple front office people say, well, I was inspired. They were inspired. We have people who got into journalism, who got into baseball. A guy like Eno Saris who's coming up. They got into it. Why? Why? Because of Billy Bean. Billy Bean inspired a generation of people, whether it's front office, it's media, it's whatever, to want to work in baseball. He inspired that. Now, if Michael Lewis doesn't capture it, who knows? But Michael Lewis did. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back. Still love that expression. Ba- Billy Bean inspired generations of people to want to work in baseball, not as coaches, not as not as players, but as people that work in front offices and in the media. He, what he did for this game I hope someday somebody really does it justice. Because I don't know if all these brilliant minds, these guys are coming in with these PhDs and all these fancy degrees. I don't know if they come in. I mean, they could go to Silicon Valley and make more money. Guarantee you, Google's paying more than the Baltimore Orioles. I guarantee you, Apple's paying more than the Kansas City Royals. I guarantee you eBay, Amazon. I know people work for Amazon, Google. They pay way more than the Florida Marlins or the Tampa Bay Rays. But you can't be a star working there. You're not somebody. Yeah, you work in Silicon Valley. Yeah, you get a great job with Amazon up in Seattle. Make a lot of money. Have a nice house. No one knows who you are. But you run a Major League Baseball team. Everybody knows who you are. You're on television, you're on radio, you're on streaming. The fan base knows you. 
Everywhere you go, people know where you are. You walk into a restaurant with your wife and your family. Everybody's like, hey, that's the guy that runs the franchise. You become a star. You become somebody. You're not a somebody as a nobody engineer at Google. The only people that know you are your buddies at Google. When you run a major league franchise, like Bob Myers, take another sport. If Bob Myers was still an agent, no one would know who Bob Myers is. But Bob Myers, I don't even know what his title is now, but Bob Myers runs basketball operations for the Golden State Warriors. So Bob Myers walks around the Bay Area. Everybody knows who Bob Myers is. Because when Bob Myers is being handed the trophy for the NBA Finals, everybody sees Bob on TV. If he was an agent still, nobody would know who he is. Front office people have become stars in the game. And that really has a lot to do with Billy Bean. And we should just all be pretty thankful. Because if there was no Moneyball, there was no movie, there was no book, and there wasn't all of these wins, I, I don't know where we would be. It's not like we're in a great spot now. I can't imagine where we would be. We'd be like the Clippers of the 90s. Just totally irrelevant. President of Basketball Operations for Bob Myers. I don't care. Yeah, well, just... But, I mean, that's, that's you know, that's the react. Turn the heater off, man. The heater's smoking. I got the heater going today here in the old studio. But a lot of I got a lot of respect for Billy Bean, and so does everybody in baseball. You know, when they came out recently with that new award for the top baseball executive voted upon baseball executives – not the media, not the fans. Who won that award? Billy Bean. You know, all these guys that work in all these organizations, I mean, that's why I want to start getting, like, Dan O'Dowd, Dan Duquette back on the program. The impact that he has had on our game is immense. And, you know, it's pretty smart by John Fisher. You want a mind like that to go? What he's meant to your organization? What he's meant to your brand? How much money? How much money has Billy Bean made the A's by keeping them relevant? How much money? I mean, just think about that. What this franchise owes, owes him. Yeah, Sandy Alderson, who, by the way, at one point picked pick prospects out of the magazine Baseball America for Trades. He told us this on this program down at the winter meetings. But you just think about the evolution of baseball and analytics where the A's brand is, what the A's are worth now, I mean, Billy Bean's a part of that. And it'll be interesting to watch David Forrest, as David joked. Well, yeah, Billy's now just saying the 102 losses were all on me. <laughs> but, yeah, now, now, now there's no safety net anymore for David Forrest. It's now his show, and he's earned that right. That's the reason why Billy's kept him around all these years. Other people have left. David, well, Billy wouldn't let him go. Things are changing, and yet they're not. It's very interesting. We'll talk to Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist, next, right here on A's Cast Live. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Oakland Athletics begin spring training on February 25th. Now's the time to make plans to catch us in Mesa, Arizona, and enjoy the sunshine of your family and friends. Buy your tickets early for the best seats at the lowest prices as your green and gold take on the Giants, Dodgers, Padres, Angels, and more at Ho-Ho Cam Stadium. And Tony, it's a deep drive to right in the corner. Gritchick going back. He'll turn and watch it fly. Get your tickets at athletics.com slash spring. That's athletics.com slash spring. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty, play the open. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Well, Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist, joins us here. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Doing great. I'm Currently uh, trying to look at all the rule changes and figure out who's going to benefit the most. I've done this before, but I'm adding more information and trying again, trying to really nail it down. That sounds really hard. It is really hard because one of the things that's annoying is they're doing a bunch of rule changes at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be a lot easier if they did one. Like, how could you really judge? I mean, everybody's going to benefit off. You can only throw over twice and the third one's a. Third, third yeah. one's what? What the, on a bat? Check this out. I, I looked at the average. Uh, I looked at the people who averaged the most throws over, and only one regular in all of baseball averaged anything more than one throw over, and it was like 1.05 Trey Turner. So, that I mean, it is a big deal once you get to two because the third one has to be you get them or it's a balk. Yeah. However, if 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 the average is less than one, we're not getting to two a lot. So I, I think that one may not be that big a difference. I don't know. Because yeah, some people I know have acted like, oh, my God, that rule is going to be the worst rule we've ever seen. But as you say, guys don't really throw over that much anyway. I think it's because it's all been scienced out. Everybody knows who's going to go and who they're going to go against. Noah Syndergaard gives up all the stolen bases. You know, like everybody knows who's slow. Everybody knows everybody's pop times. Everybody knows everybody's times yeah. to play. Everybody knows everybody's times at second base. So it's all been scienced out. And the only time you actually get a throw over is if it's like kind of a fringe case and you're not sure. You know, you're kind of like, oh, 
you know, I'm a little bit, I know my times to home aren't that great. I got to throw over once. Well, and then, you know, you already know when a certain guy's at the plate, you're not running, you're not taking the bat out of the guy's hands or the guy. And I'd bet this used to happen a lot, but I bet it happens way more that the better players in the game say to the guys on first base, you distract me when you leave, so don't <laughs> leave. I'm trying to hit. So I bet that, I mean, a lot of guys just All I'm just trying to look go. at is release point. All I want is release point. I don't want to be looking over there. Somebody's dancing around. Yeah, a lot of guys say don't do it. So, I yeah, who knows? So which one, when you say new rule, trying to figure out which one is the hardest? Uh, I actually think the stolen base one is, is, but, but it's because the baselines are now four and a half inches shorter because the bases are bigger. Have you seen the bigger bases? They're definitely bigger. I hear that looks like pizza boxes. They're way bigger. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, you won't be able to tell. I was like, that's, that's bigger. Uh, maybe you can't tell when you're like watching in the stands or on TV, but like when you're standing next to it, you're like, that's definitely bigger. So base pass are four and a half inches shorter. And what that meant, I think what that's really tough to figure out is so if you're a guy who steals 30, 40, 50 bags, four inches doesn't mean that much. You're safe all the time. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're that fast. If you are Albert Pujols, four inches ain't going to save you. <laughs> you're still out, you know? So it's, it's that middle ground. And I tried to figure it out. It's, it's guys who um, are about four and a half seconds to first base around four and a half seconds to first base you're fast enough to, to steal a few bases and if four and a half inches might mean that you steal a bunch more, like you might double, you might go from five stolen bases to 10. I don't think the guy who steals 30 is going to 60. You know what I mean? So like in the middle, I think there'll be a bigger difference. Uh, there's a guy who's at the center of all these rules that I think the A's should definitely pick up. Uh, he's projected for one year and $10 million. And his name is Joey Gallo. And he is a guy who has four and a half seconds speed to first base. So he will steal more bases next year. He's a left-hander uh, who hits, who pulls the ball. So I've got, by my numbers, he's got another three, four, five hits in him at least uh, just due to the shift. And that there might be more once, you know, the players start adjusting to the, the new environment. Uh, and he's also a guy that just was worse last year than he has been in his career be a good bounce back player. I think defensive player gets on base slugs. I know he won't hit for average, but you know, that's the kind of thing that I think they could get on the free market. By the way, I just uh, talked to my sources here and my sources say the bags could be 80 feet in Albert pool. Albert pool. <laughs> uh, you know, something to look about with the extra bases too. And I know a lot of people are not talking about this, but when you have bigger bases and we're talking about first to second, what you also need to think about is home to first. You know those bang-bang plays? Maybe not so much bang-bang as much because that's going to benefit the offensive player because all of a sudden he's getting to first base faster. Yeah, it's, I was thinking about that in terms of arm strength for, for shortstops. And somebody like Dansby Swanson, and probably not in the A's range, but still relevant, Dansby Swanson had bottom 10, 15th percentile arm strength last year. He still managed to have a good defensive season, but you, when you see an arm like that, you think Trevor Story going to second base, you know, not a, not a shortstop anymore. And that's because there are so many bang-bang plays at first. You need a shortstop with a good arm to win those bang-bang plays. What if that bang-bang level changes a little bit? Maybe you can have a little bit weaker armed shortstops. It's something to think about developmentally. It's something to think about scouting. It's something to think about when you're signing a shortstop. 
So the, the non-tender is, is today, right? Isn't that today on the calendar? I believe it's at 8 p.m. Eastern, so 5 our time. Ah, yeah. what did we say? Cody Bellinger sounds like an Oakland <laughs> A already. There's a guy who has who's that kind of speed where he'll benefit from the base pass. He's a left-hander who pulls the ball. The one thing that uh, that Gallo and Bellinger uh, do that there is actually a player that benefits more. So I looked at it and players who hit the ball straight down the line are going to get some help. You know, some of those prototypical all or nothing slugger pull everything types. But the the players that hit the ball up the middle a little bit and pull it are going to benefit the most. So yes. I have guys like Juan Soto benefiting the most because where do you put your second baseman? If you're a pull everything guy, I can still put my second baseman close to the first baseman, right? Where he stands normally and in the shift. And I can still steal a lot from you. But if you if you can pull it down the line and hit it up the middle, I don't know where to put my second baseman. You're making me choose where I have to put my second baseman. Will Juan Soto swing the bat next year? <laughs> At least three times. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just, just, just want to make sure. Yeah. You know what? And it's always been that way. Being a career middle infielder myself, yeah, you can position guys, guys that are pool guys as a shortstop. You play less up the middle, shade more towards third base. That's not going away. Second that, baseman know, like the can, little stuff isn't going away. And the second baseman can still shade more up the middle. It's just you can't plant yourself right in right behind second base and take those hits away anymore. Yeah, so that'll uh, some some up the middle guys will be helpful. I mean, if you, I'm looking at my extra hits list here, uh, I tried to look up the middle and uh, and uh, and over at second base. My extra base hits the, the extra hits this year. Um, you know, if we change the rules, Rowdy Telez, Juan Soto, uh, Corey Seager, Matt Olson, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Joey Votto, Max Kepler, Kyle Tucker. It's not all uh, the Max Muncies of the world. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of the benefits to spraying the ball. Is there a chance that the rules, all these different rule changes happen and they don't affect as much as we think it does? I, I did talk to somebody who modeled it for their team an analyst. Uh, and he thinks that, uh, it'll add up to one extra run a game. That's a big difference. But if everybody got one extra run, what would be the different of the outcomes of last year's games? If everybody got one run a game. Yeah, it'll be hard to see who benefits the most. Yes. And 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 teams are are going to be because there's so many rule changes, teams are struggling to figure out how much to change their scouting, how much to change their development, how much to change their trade, you know, their player acquisition, you know, all that. They're they're trying to figure it out. But if you look at something like this. I think it looked weird to have Jock Peterson give him a qualifying offer. I think that was a little bit much. $20 million for a DH, right? You know, for one year. Seemed like a little bit much. Maybe the Giants have bottled out and said, this guy hits the ball on the ground. He's going to get extra hits. He pulls the ball. He's a way pull guy. You know, he's going to get extra hits and he's going to be better. He's going to be better next year because he's rules. So we're going to start to see some of the stuff, uh, you know, in between. Some of the some of the decisions that we don't understand might have to do with how they're modeling it. But uh, but uh, But a run in terms of, overall changes that's a big deal to add one run to games uh from one year to the next that's an offensive explosion quote unquote that's like 1987 1987 all of a sudden was like this huge explosion in offense and uh i think we may have something like that again now will we be able to see it on the player level is different because you can add one run a game and the players 
are just all a little bit better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we are not gonna like. Are we gonna see a Willie McGee? Like, I, I kind I kind of doubt it. Are we gonna see like a, you know, an all defense 90, 90 steel guy just because of the new rules? I don't I don't think so. Um, but maybe maybe down the line. But we're definitely not gonna see it in year one. You know, like Trey Turner's not gonna steal a hundred bases this year. Yeah, uh, Whitey Herzog and the 1980s Cardinals are on the phone playing at Bush State, the old Bush Stadium on the turf. I don't think they're coming back. That's right. I know. Like, <laughs> new baseball is you have to have offense with your defense, right? Like, that's new baseball. Like, we, we, can't, we can't afford to have anybody out there that's just defense. Uh, or, or maybe we can have one guy, but that's it. I want to give credit to the excellent writing that you do on The Athletic because I read an article that was poorly done. It's like they were copying you about the sticky stuff and about scouting. And as I was reading, I was like, man, this is terrible. Compared to Eno, my guy Eno, this is terrible. But, yeah, I, I thought about it, and you brought this up. You know, how we evaluate pitchers, how we evaluate hitters, We've got rules. We've got, you know, we're not using, I guess, illegal bats anymore like Albert Pujols' bat. Um, you know, how do we scout? How do we draft? You know, because as you've mentioned, the guys down at college are all still using the sticky stuff. It's a really weird time for these front offices to try to evaluate and pay money and draft people and pay money when they kind of, you know, equipment's all over the place substances not 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 substances you put in your body but stuff that you put on your fingers right. i mean there's a lot of weird stuff going on yeah and like you know they have to make decisions now and they have to they have to draft guys this year and they have to they have to they have to sign guys this year so literally teams are having these discussions like i know this i've i've i've, I've heard some of them you know where it's like what do you think you know what what should we do uh generally uh, because of these new rules, what should the shift change our philosophy in what we're thinking? And um, I, I think that people are trying to change. They want to be ahead of the curve. So I would guess a lot of teams are saying, you know what, we can't do the slugger at second base anymore. You know what, we need to have a guy who can actually pick it at second base. And in general, across the field, second, third base, we need to start having guys who can pick it. And, you know, if there's a choice between a guy who might have a higher barrel rate and a guy who can pick it, we might go with the guy, especially if the guy who can pick it puts more balls in play because he's going to get some benefit on the offensive side. He puts the balls in play. There's not as much shift. He, you know, he can he can get to first base that way. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a shift beginning this year where, you know, that kind of and it's something that baseball wants to get away from. I think that it might be successful from the conversations I've heard in front offices. It might be successful to kind of push us to a more athletic all round, all around player, as opposed to kind of uh, a three true outcome slugger that we just, we hide at second base by putting three guys around it, you know? Yeah. I mean, or, or basically what all these years were of the, the Dodgers left side with Seager and Turner, it was all, it was all offense, no defense, but shift always. And that protected them. Yeah, yeah. Muncie, I think the Dodgers benefit a lot from it. Muncie, I think, is a first baseman going forward. You know, I don't think you want Muncie out there at second base anymore. No, 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 no. Uh, your sources, when we start talking about relievers, and obviously we want big time, velocity, that's what we want. Guys that can pitch in high leverage innings, we know all of that. 
But now, seeing what Montero got with Houston, seeing what Suarez got with San Diego, and we know how bullpen guys year to year, their numbers can be so dramatic. How are your sources feeling about some of these contracts already given out? Long-term deals. They would be considered long-term deals, high-money deals for relievers. Yeah, you know, my Rolodex uh, doesn't include a lot of uh, president of baseball operations and owners. Um, and I think a lot of those guys are the ones being like, give me the fancy toy. Give me Edwin Diaz for five years. I don't care what it takes. And it makes sense. If you're the New York Mets, you want to win. He's the best option to you. You spend that money. You have the money. I'm not begrudging them that. The guys in my Rolodex are analysts, you know, director of R&D, you know, AGMs. Those guys are like, hey, uh, have you looked at what relievers were good five years ago? Uh, I've got I've got this open here on my on my Twitter here. Uh, top ten relievers five years ago got Kenley Jansen and Craig Kimbrell. That sounds okay. Those guys are well. Craig Kimbrell, Roberto Azuna, Corey Knebel, Pat Neshek, Chad Green, Hurt, Felipe Vasquez. He's in jail. Andrew Miller, Mike Miner, Mike Miner, Anthony Swarzak. So like. Uh, you know, most of the guys I talked to were like five year deals, like for these guys, like uh, you bet you best hope you got Kenley Jansen uh, because the rest of that list uh, doesn't look like it's going to hold up for five years. So uh, I just think it's a, it's a rough life being a reliever. It's it's hard to keep up like top end stuff for five years. Uh, and, you know, I when I look at the market, I look at it through the, the eyes of the analysts and they they turn to, you know, a lot of the guys in my Rolodex and say, hey, find me some cheap relievers. You know, find me some guys. Oh, here's another way of looking at it. All right, let me see if I have this open here. Uh, I did. I, I could do this without looking. Top 30 relievers this year. So that's everybody. Every team gets one, right? Top 30 relievers. Three of them were waiver claims. And four of them were signed for less than $4 million in one year. So almost a third of the best relievers in baseball this year, this past season, were close to free. So that's why eventually after the president of baseball operations blows a hundred million dollars on Edwin Diaz in five years, he also has to turn to, you know, uh, the, 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 the AGMs and the, and the, and the analytics guys and say, find me a reliever. And so, you know, for example, for, if I was the A's, uh, you know, I would look at my stuff plus number, like I've gotten, there's guys like Jacob Barnes, who has a top stuff number. He's bounced around, been some injuries, but I would give him a minor league invite. Pierce Johnson doesn't have a great fastball, but I'd give him a small deal. Uh, you know, there's another guy on this list that I really liked. Um, Kyle Crick can't find the zone, you know, just give him a minor league invite, get him in there. Uh, so just get as many of these guys. Hurakazu Sawamura can't find the zone, get him in there. If you want a guy that's worth money, that won't cost five years, Trevor May. That guy could close. That guy could close for I'd say half the teams in baseball next year, and he won't get. He won't take a closer contract. So uh, that's that's I, I you know the reliever market has never made sense through the eyes of wins above replacement and money um, because it seems like a separate market. You just you know there's a lot of money in it. You got to spend there, I guess. Uh, but I I still have that bone in my body where I'm like, no man, let's just find some. It reminds me of, and I don't remember what year. And this takes it to, I know we got a lot of people who are football fans too. 
to where they they just changed the rules to make them so offensive in the NFL to like DBs just you know it's it's a rough life you're going to constantly get burnt and Bill Parcells the Hall of Famer said you know what I'm not spending money on DBs anymore because the rules are against them they're going to get burnt they're only good for so many years. I just need a lot of them that I just keep rotating through. And what you just said makes me think of Bill Parcells. Like, I can't invest in these guys long term because who's good for three men, who who may have been good for the last three months of this year, may stink in the first three months of next year. I just, it's like, I, it's like it's like we're in Vegas, baby, and we're just rolling dice every year. And like, ah, hopefully this guy works out. I mean, think about that. I mean, think of Lou Trevino. How up and down Lou Trevino was, and then pitched better for the Yankees. I mean, we just, we just, there, there's no Mariano Rivera's not walking through that door. I guess is what I want to say. Uh, who who was it that throws that uh, really weird backup slider that ended up closing for the A's at the end of the season? The name escapes me for a second. He was basically the closer for the A's at the end of the season. Wasn't it Zach Jack? Was it Zach Jackson? Zach Jack. His no. was more of a drop. No, uh, the other guy. Oh, uh, Acevedo. Yeah. Acevedo. He throws uh, uh, one of the weirdest pitches in baseball, uh, uh, like a backup slider is, is, is like, uh, and, a, and a changeup. You know, he was good last year. There's no guarantee he's going to be good next year. Do you know how many appearances, how many games he had pitched in before last year? No. Ten. Yeah, exactly. And he went 60. And, and imagine trying 60, to evaluate him. That's oh, why I have stuff plus. 69, that, 70 games. Yes. He was in the year before 10, and then he went from 10 to 70. So there's workload, workload concerns, and then just, you know, just trying to try, imagine trying to evaluate him going to this, into this past season, being like, okay, well, we have 10 innings. He seems like he's okay, throws hard. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, I wanted to let you talk about Billy Bean. Obviously, it's a big change in the sport. Um, Billy Bean now just going to be the right-hand man of John of John Fisher and doing a lot of business stuff. And now David Forrest, who is, his position will not change, but now he won't need Billy to make any decisions. Billy will be there for everybody in the organization, whatever they need. But I, I, I tried to... I tried to really frame it for everybody of what Billy has meant for the A's, keeping the A's relevant, and what he's meant for baseball, how he changed baseball, how he inspired generations, whether it be people who wanted to be in front offices, who wanted to be general managers, who want to be decision makers, to people who are journalists who read Moneyball and then saw the book Moneyball. It's amazing how many people Billy Bean and his story inspired people to want to work in our industry. And then, oh, yeah, everything he did with analytics, everything he did with changing the way we evaluate and build teams. Just talk about the legacy of Billy Bean. Yeah, I mean, uh, super, super important to me personally, but. Um, you know, just also, you know, my, my dad was out here in the, in the late eighties and, you know, I got to see some of those, some of those teams, uh, some of those early nineties teams. Like I, I, you know, I, I also was a nerd and something that's kind of cool is that, you know, you kind of made being a nerd cool. Like they made a movie about him. You know what I mean? Brad Pitt played him. Yeah. Like Brad (laughs) Brad Pitt play, ain't playing me, but <laughs> or nobody even as good looking, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, just just the idea that there was a place 
in baseball for, you know, people that were, that had been bad at baseball. I get a lot of stuff that's like, Oh, you know, how, you know, you didn't play. So you don't know anything. I mean, I played, I played, I was just real bad. I was really bad. And you know, there's, there's a perspective you can get sitting on the bench. I was scoring games. I was hanging out with the equipment manager. Uh, you know, like, uh, there's a different perspective on the game you can get there. And I think that he left the door open or opened the door for different perspectives on how to, to run a team. I mean, that's literally what Moneyball is for me is we're trying to figure out how to run a team differently than other people, you know? And, you know, that that's become important to me. Even when I think about how can we improve this game? I think sports are best when you have different ways to win. Yes. I think there's there was a lot of like, you know, copycatting what he did uh you know after after he did it and that's fine but it's better if we have more ways to win and even billy i think would agree with that because the only reason he won you know when he first started was because he had a different idea you know and he was going to do it for cheaper and he had a he had a different idea and that the only reason it worked because it was different so i like that he opened the door for different i different ways to win the game i like that he opened the doors for different types of people uh, to think about now there's a lot of sort of homogeneity in front offices where you've got a lot of people in there that sort of think analytically um, like he did so it seems like oh well now it's just become homogenous everything is moneyball but that's not true if you really know what moneyball is about it's about getting different perspectives about getting different ideas and about winning the game in a different way uh, so I, I think that's that's what's cool about what he did and this is what pisses me off I'm gonna go to this is what pisses me off card Moneyball is because he had to do it. It was yeah. the only way he was going to be successful. He had to scrape. He had to claw. He had to fight with the owner. He had to fight with whoever because all Billy wanted to do was win. And now these frauds like Boston and San Francisco, oh, we're like playing my – they don't have to play Moneyball. That's not Moneyball. Moneyball was because you had to do it. Moneyball is not sitting on your Nesson contract and your highest season tickets and your pile of money that the Boston Red Sox have as they're one of the richest franchises in American sports history, but they claim they want to play Moneyball. That's not Moneyball. You know know who who is Moneyball right now? Dave Dombrowski. Yeah, he's doing everything he can to win. You know, he's spending money, so it doesn't seem like Moneyball, but that's Moneyball, man. He's, he spent money. He says, this prospect, I don't know if it's going to work out. I need to win now. Let me go get a player I can help me win now. I don't care about that prospect, you know? He's not going to prospect hug. You know, he's like, money? Nick Castellanos, terrible signing, maybe. I don't care. I'm going to I'm gonna sign another guy next year. You know, <laughs> like, he's like, it's just money. I've got money. Like, that's that almost seems like money ball in a way. I mean, I know it's like a total sort of 360. But, but it's about it's winning. Every team. If every team is the A's and every team is the Rays, you know, at some point, just spending money and trading away prospects becomes money ball. <laughs> That's my point. Well, it's being doing something different to win. Think about Billy in his career. Did he ever hoard hoard anybody that you thought was this is a prospect? This is Gavin Lux. We can never yeah. part with Gavin Lux. <laughs> Gavin Lux is She'll the next never great. Touch him. Oh my God, he's great. <laughs> Billy Bean flip. Oh, you think we can win? Where's Jeff Samarja? We'll bring him. In. I mean, Billy. If Billy has felt like they could win, he always made moves and he'd flip whoever. In the minor league system yeah yeah in fact you know there's something interesting about that i think that he's always done 
that um, that teams still have a different perception on. The Reds, for example, when they traded away their guy, uh, Luis Castillo, they went and got two teenagers that were very far away from the major leagues. You know, some of them might strike out too much. Some of them might never make it, might not have a position, might not be shortstops when they make it to the big leagues. Who knows? They're really far away. The one thing that Billy still does or the A's still do that was a, a very Billy Beanish thing is they'd much rather get the guy in AAA they think is just one tweak away the, or the guy who's played in the big leagues already, somebody they know can play in the big leagues. Yeah, he wants to compete. Yeah. To where there's a lot of questions about people in this game today. How much? How bad do they want it? How bad do they want to compete? I mean, when we were celebrating the O2 team and they were here, and you just go back to that team, you know, after 01 and 02 and the people that the wheeling and dealing and the names that start to come into the organization, uh, it was um, it was really cool is that here you had a guy and that's what made Moneyball special. Here you had a guy that would fight anybody in the world to try and win, including his owner. Right. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah. he, him and Steve shot, were going round and round about money to where, what's his name at Ricardo Rincon. He was, he was willing to pay for Ricardo Rincon with his own salary, but said, when I flip him for more money, I get that extra money. But that's yeah, the kind yeah. of, that's the kind of fighter he was just to try and win games. That's not what's happening in San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Boston. That's not that they're not playing money ball. You know what they're just being, they're being cheap. They'd call it efficient. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. But I know I, I, no. I wanted to give you I – know, I know you have a very good relationship with Billy. I wanted to give you the floor to be able to talk about him. I mean, uh, literally made place for me on the couch in, in media, uh, media scrums when I was at Fangraphs. And, and uh, so it was like literally – open doors for me personally uh and so i will always uh you know respect him and uh and i think that you know anybody who's talked to him in recent years you've seen i think he, he just hadn't had that same fight that he used to have you know it wasn't quite the same passion and so i think this is a good way for him to keep advising the team uh and for david forrest uh who is passionate and has a little more energy to to get in there and, and do this but i have so much respect for billy bean and what he's done and uh I was. I will always thank him for for anything he's done for me, however small it was. Last one. I know you've been looking at bargain free agents. When I say, Eno, just close your eyes and envision out of all these guys you've been looking at, who sounds like an Oakland A already? <laughs> I've got. Uh, I, I already mentioned Joey Gallo. Uh, I like Trey Mancini. Uh, you know, the guy who hits hits the ball hard still, uh, and, uh, won't, won't guarantee, won't get much more than two and 16, uh, according to the crowd. Uh, I like that, that Trevor may, uh, idea. Um, and, uh, I think somebody like Matthew Boyd uh, as a starting pitcher would make sense because all these guys combined might cost you $15 million. And uh, I think they would give you, uh, you know, some depth at starting pitching, a first baseman. We've kind of been running through first baseman. I'm not sure that any of them really look like a long-term option um, and uh, a little bit of offensive pop. So I think, you know, I think if you got dream, if you did Gallo and Mancini, I, I like, oh. honestly, I think, I think that would be a, a great combo. 
uh, to to help the lineup because they're also very different. Mancini makes contact, sprays the ball, will have a better batting average. Gallo's going to be, you know, all or nothing homers for the most part. Uh, but between the two of them, that would be really help the lineup. Uh, somebody like Boyd, I think, could uh, end up into a guy 100, 120 innings uh, in the rotation. Trevor May, I think, would be their closer. So, you know, all of those together, I think $20 million might might do it, 25. I don't I don't think that's that bad. All right, everybody, I got one for you. I just want everybody, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you're not driving, everybody close your eyes. I got one for you. I just want you to close your eyes. We're going to put this into the universe. Are you ready? Now batting, playing center field, number 35, Cody Bellinger. <laughs> Can't you just close your eyes? Can't you just envision it? That's, Five o'clock, we'll know. That, Five that, o'clock. That they sway, said it'd be 50-50 he's on the Dodgers roster at the end of the day. Oh, I don't care if he strikes out a million times. Just bring me some Cody Bell. Bring me that kind of athlete, that swagger, the chain flowing everywhere. Oh. Sounds like an Oakland yeah. A already. Sounds like an Oakland A. He needs, <laughs> needs to revive his career. We only get, I mean, we may only have him for a few months. I don't care. All right. Well, Bellinger, Mancini, May, and Boyd, that's $25 million. Gallo, I swear, if it's one of those two week stretches where he like strikeouts 8,000 times, I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that. It's, it's tough. Also, uh, you know, the new rules do put a premium on putting the ball in play. So, you know, because if the, if the ball finds grass more often, swing more, put the ball in play more, you know, don't strike out as much. I so w- that, I, that's an argument for Mancini over Gallo. I, I will say this about Gallo, just over the years watching him when he came to town with the Rangers, for a big guy, he's a big dude, right? Like when you stand next to him at batting practice. But he, he runs well and he he's plays. He's a good he athlete. A glove. He's yeah. good in the outfield. He's got a decent hose and he runs the bases real well. So that's yeah. like it's like check his eyes, do something. If this guy just made a little more contact, <laughs> yeah, I mean, get him contacts. I whatever you need to do. He is a really good athlete for a man his size. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Mancini is more DH first base, um, and he and he's coming off a bad ending in the season. But I, I still think that's a decent bounce back guy. Play the man is. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Doesn't a Friday afternoon in a brewery just sound good? You may have to go. Well, I mean, you can write stories from the brewery. <laughs> right? I can, I can. You want to talk Have about a good weekend, guys? All right, buddy. Take care. The great Eno Saris, our baseball guys. national columnist. He's fantastic. It's one of the best partnerships we've ever did. Remember, we used to be all excited just to get Eno. Now we get him every Friday. His brilliance. No one's looking into stuff like he does. No, not at all. And he mentioned Mancini and Gallo. There's a guy that was apparently, according to Joel Sherman of the. Uh, Should I close my eyes and envision it? Um, you know what he does? Uh, we'll, we'll play. It. Let me give you the name and let me make sure I have the drop ready. Um, this guy is a New York Met, but apparently he is going to be. De- Nimmo not- does not sound like an Oakland Athletic to he's me. He's going to be non-tender, can play first base. Grom does not sound like an Oakland Athletic to me. Uh, Chris Bassett was once an Oakland A, but it's not him. Too expensive. Uh, this guy can play first and left field. What are your thoughts on Dom Smith? Sounds like an Oakland A already. I'd take that in a heartbeat. Dom Smith apparently is going to be non-tendered, according to Joel Sherman. 
Dom Smith didn't have a good year in this past year for the Mets, but what is he, 20? I think he's 28. Dom Smith, 27 years old, be 28 in June. Uh, let's see, his best year I think was 2021. 2021, he hit 244. He had a, drove in uh, 58 runs, but 2020 in the short year, he hit 316, 10 homers, 42 RBI. Going La- right into his prime at 28 years old. He only played in 58 games last year. He didn't hit a home run. A little tr- worrisome for a guy that has some power. But yeah, but what was his issue? He had issues. He was hurt, yeah. yeah. And he hit 194. But so I'm saying, it sounds like an Oakland A already. Yeah, he, he'd be a great – I remember think, thinking of him when the rumors went on about Bassett being traded from the A's to the Mets. I thought Donaldson should be a guy that, that the front office looked at to bring over. Cause you knew I mean, he, he was – well, I, if I remember correctly, he was good during co- the COVID year. Yeah, yeah, 2020, 316, yeah. 10 homers, 42 RBIs. That's in 60 games. And in How nine, many RBIs? Uh, 42. And he played – He had he only, 42 RBIs in 60 games. Uh, no, no. 50, he only played in 50 games. Uh, and he had a 993 OPS. Sounds like an Oakland A already. So he, those are two guys. Another guy out there that, that I think the Rays are going to non-tender, they might have actually already released him, Ryan Yarborough, the guy that almost had a perfect game for them. Yeah. I think he would be a perfect Oakland A from the left side of the mound. So, you know, since Billy and David may not talk every day now, are we going to have to offer our services? Like, David, <laughs> you need to bounce something off. We're here for you. I mean, I mean, I do have a direct line to David. You're Billy. You and Billy have it. I have the direct line to David. I mean, I see him in the office all the time. We, we chit chat in the office. So maybe I'll, maybe on Monday when I see him in the office, I'll, I'll throw some names at him. Say, David, why, why, why are we signing this guy? If he's got needs a sounding board, if he needs like to talk to somebody, like, hey, what do you guys think? You know, now that Billy may be off in Europe doing soccer or something, we'll, we'll, we'll be here for you. There was a trade that happened while we were on the air too, and getting ready for Eno. By the way, we haven't even talked about Kyle Lewis, who was once Rookie of the Year. And 2020 as well. Everybody was talking about how this the wonder kid. I did not realize that the Seattle Mariner now gone and a very young, crowded, athletic outfield for our Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, I mean, you got Lewis, you got Corbin, uh, Corbin Carroll, Varsho, Alec Thomas. Carroll's going to be the Carroll's like their uber prospect. So they got and they Isn't got he like the fastest guy in baseball. Yeah, they have another guy in the. They have, I think they have another prospect in their system that's an outfitter. They have a lot of outfitters, but Varsho is a very intriguing guy because he can also catch. And why are we big Diamondback fans? Because we love Tori Lavello, former A Tori Lavello. Uh, so we've had a trade. We had a trade. Uh, the Angels got another guy. Angels. I don't know. Why I'm clapping. Gio Urshela is now a uh, – who A-Rod once called the, gr- the best defensive third baseman in Wait, the American on. League. Let's get the rally, monkey. Gio Angels Ur- have made a deal. Gio Urshela uh, is now a Los Angeles Angel of Anaheim Disneyland, and they sent back Alejandro Hidalgo, who's 19 years old, to the Twins. So where's Urshela playing short? Is that your shortstop? Because where are you going to put Rendon? Can he play shortstop? I thought he – I think he came up as a – let me, let Every, me. Everybody starts as a shortstop, but can he play shortstop at the big league level? Let's see. Let's see how many games. Let's see. Arshella is considered a third baseman and shortstop. How many games has he played at shortstop is the question. We're talking everyday shortstop. Uh, Urshela in his career. When was the last time he played in a game at short? Uh, he played two games for the Twins at short, then 28 for the Yankees in 2021. So he has played some games. But is that your that your shortstop? Where do you play Fletcher? Second? Okay. So, somebody who's played some at shortstop is not a shortstop. He's played 43 career games at shortstop. In how many years? Eight years? Uh, seven seasons. He's played how many? 43. That's not a shortstop. <laughs> 
So so but or do you put Fletcher at short and move him to second? Or maybe they feel they can. Or eat, they put Rendon at second. Maybe they eat some of Rendon's deal and move him. Rally monkey, what do you think? I don't know if I take on that. Does contract. he pitch? Can he pitch? Yeah, Rally can... monkey wants to know. Can he pitch? Can Urshela pitch? Uh, do you see the the Twinkies unveiled new unis today? Yeah, new logo too. See the new logo looks the same as last year. The font's is different. I do like the all white with the navy. They're going to be home. The Twin Cities. Yeah, I do. Yes. That looked nice. The rest of it, the rest of it, I couldn't tell they changed their unis except their hats now look like the Marlins. Yes, I saw that too. They they put they put out the four new unis and they used four different players. I think it was uh Jorge Polanco, Buxton, uh Joe Ryan who's from the Bay Area, and I forget who they had so they had all the new uniforms. But then I saw yeah. the font and I'm like, this font looks like looks the Marlins, this, yeah. right? Uh we, we had a question too from one of our listeners on YouTube. Um he asked Seriously, Billy should be inducted in the Hall of Fame. Can execs be inducted? Yes. Executives have been inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and Billy Bean will. I don't know what the criteria is when you have to be. When you have to be, I, I think I I I I uh, I what I don't know the criteria of when you have to be retired. When you don't, I mean, I don't know how that works. Uh, I also think Brian Sabian will go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. There, there, okay, so those are two guys. There's probably two other guys that are going to go in. Dave Dombrowski. Will most likely go in, and if we had to pick another, I just had uh, Theo Epstein. I think yeah. Theo goes into the. Oh no question. He goes in for what he did, the curse of the Bambino, then <laughs> the Cubs. Uh, the guy just turns around organizations. Now he works as a, I think what I forget what his official role is with Major League Baseball, but he's been part of the spearheading the changes. And he was on Buster's podcast today. I started listening to it. He's a really good interview. Theo's a very good talker, very thoughtful when he answers uh, questions. The, those are the four guys I think could go in. Maybe Cashman. So there are presidents and GMs can go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You got, of course, Branch Rickey, Larry McPhail, who's famous for what? Being fired after winning the World Series. And why did he do that? Because he got into a fight. Because he punched the reporter. Eno told us that. That's when we found out about that. Now Uh, James Click was... Fired after winning. This, this isn't correct. This has to be old because the guy that was the Blue Jays guy got in. Oh, Pat Gillick. Pat Gillick got in. So yes, GMs, baseball operations people can be into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Billy Bean, no question, will get in. Uh, yeah, Theo Epstein for doing that in Boston and Chicago. Brian Sabian. Uh, yeah, Dave Dombrowski now taking four different teams. Forty executives, according to the official. Yeah, Hall I don't of know fame. what this was talking about. Uh, let's see, who's more modern? Not all these old guys. Happy uh, Chandler. Yeah, where were you in? Uh, Ford Frick, okay, there we go. Heard of him. Uh, Bud Fowler, okay. He was just winning recently. Pat Gillick, there you There's go. There's Gillick, yeah, that's more recent. Um, Bowie Coon. Bowie Coon, yep. Uh, Larry McPhail, or Lee McPhail, and Larry, they're both in. Buck O'Neill. Uh, Bud Selig. John Sherholtz. John Sherholtz, yeah. So there we go. There's some. So yes, he can go. And Bill Vec, the former, wasn't he the White Sox? White Sox. All right. Yeah, so, so there you go. Yes, executives and baseball operations, I guess you would call them, uh, can go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Billy Bean will be going into the. I, there's no question in my mind. Billy Bean will be going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Speaking of that, let's hear from Billy. Do you have these in order? 
Yeah, I'll, the way I have them listed on there, they're all in order. So the first one should be Billy on David Force and the the new change in the baseball ops department. Well, this I think this you know this has been uh, well. First of all, it's a transition I think that over the last year or so, as it relates to sort of David uh, taking on a, a you know a greater and you know and the, and the largest role in the baseball operation, something that you know he's he's earned over uh, a twenty plus year period, being being certainly my right hand guy and a, uh, an incredible uh, executive to the organization. This is a sort sort of transition I think has been on all of our minds you know over the last you know twelve. 12 months or so uh you know even the way i structured my contracts over the last couple of years I've, I've i've gone to a rolling contract um and uh, and again this is really as much about uh not just me transitioning into a new role but also david taking on a, a responsibility that he he's earned as, as one of the probably the top executives in the game and, and certainly in my opinion uh, but as far as day to day uh listen the great thing is is as i think i've said in the past is you know, I'm still a member of the athletics family. I'm uh, very grateful to to John and the and the relationship that we forged over the over the time since he's taken over ownership. Uh, I'll continue, uh, you know, being a hopefully a, a, a good advisor to him going forward, and it'll also allow me to do some things. I think outside, as people know, I had some interests that have grown over the last couple of years. This will give me some freedom to also pursue some of those. Uh, not, not with a baseball team, but maybe with some other things that, again, with things that I've uh, done over the course of the, the last decade or so, and I'll certainly get more involved in that. And I've, I've also got uh, two kids who are in high school that uh, now I can be a member of the uh, the carpool team that uh, is so badly needed driving over to Carondelet and De La Salle. Yeah, his kids are driving age. Or they're about to be driving age, so I think he'll be able to get them cars and they'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's – I think right there what he said towards the end – is really it allows him breathing room to do other stuff and still maintain the relationship with the A's, even though he was doing it. It's kind of tough to take on more when all of a sudden you're still the VP of baseball operations. Now that you're not the VP of baseball, you're not the VP of baseball operations. Now you're just the right-hand man for John Fisher. Now you can do a lot of different stuff. And no one's going to be going, well, why is he in Europe at a soccer tournament when it's the trading deadline or it's this or it's that? And all that's gone. It'd be like, Cody's my right-hand man, but somebody else is sitting in the seat. Well, Cody's great. Cody's this guy, but Cody's never here. You'd be like, well, why is Cody? So that that's all gone. Right-hand man, John Fisher, great business mind, can help John, baseball, other things. And then now it's all on David. So trading deadline, you can't say, well, we, where's Billy? Let's talk to a bit. You don't have to worry about any of that anymore. Not that we're the Yankees and there's 8 million people looking around and sniffing around our organization going, why have I not seen Billy in two months? <laughs> you know, that was never happening, but I think it's just for optics. You know, Billy's not going to be, you know, you don't see him a lot anymore. Like, if they're giving out a check or they're doing something, you know, there's, you know, I mean, there was talk, you know, we had him on about the O2 team. We're like, Billy, you got to be down there. Yeah. 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 And, and he ended up being down there, but it's like, he is not, you haven't seen him a lot. Hasn't been around. It's David's show. That time is just over time. It's okay. It's now time for David just to do it all. 
and Billy Bean to be there when people need him and his advice and obviously the stuff going on with the ballpark. John Fisher obviously has a lot of other businesses and um, who know, we don't even know like that side if Fisher ever brings Bean in on his other business. We don't know. Could be. I mean, it kind of insinuates that in the press release, but it just it, it, it's it's evolved to where it is today, and it, it and it's a perfect time. Uh, let's go to. Let's go exactly that. You got the non-baseball business. Uh, yes, this one. All right. Well, listen, wherever John or, or Dave felt I, I I could help. Uh, I mean, listen, there's other parts of John's businesses as well that you know I I, I certainly think that if he thinks I'm an asset. I mean, we've talked over the years, mainly because of my interest in, in soccer slash football. I mean, we talked about the quakes on a more casual basis. And again, if you, you felt like I could be an assistant in anything, uh, as it relates to the A's, I'm, I'm certainly here for him. So, uh, there's some things I'm going to be better at than others, but, uh, where I'm needed, I will certainly help while I can. So, uh, again, John's got a lot of business interests beyond the A's, but, and again, around this thing out, uh, again, I'm incredibly grateful to be a part. I mean, the idea of not being a part of the A's sort of my entire life, I could never imagine that. So to be able to do something like this is, uh, again, I'm, I've had some people text me, is this a good thing? Because they weren't, you know, weren't sure. And I said, yeah, this is a good thing. I'm, I'm very excited about, about my role. And again, I'm excited to see, see David sort of officially uh, get to lead the baseball operations. In some sense, he's, he's been, he's, he's been a, like, again, a, done an incredible job over the last 20 years for me and, and now he gets the deserved recognition for some of the decisions he's going to make now i also want you to think about this you know there is going to be a time when stadium stuff will really heat up you're going to want the presence of, B- of billy bean around right if there's ever a ribbon cutting ceremony if there's ever you know wherever that may be as our president talks about parallel pass, um, wherever it may be, Billy Bean is a star of the organization. You do not want to lose that star. Uh, let's go to Billy Bean on his time all these years with the A's. Well, again, it's a little – wow, I didn't realize I qualified as breaking news, so I guess I'm humbled and flattered. But uh, – uh, yeah, I mean, incredible. I mean, listen, this, this summer was interesting too. I sort of felt like as, you know, as I was, we had the uh, 2002 reunion, Chris, I think you remember that. And it was incredible to see all the guys. Uh, and in, in some sense in that time, I think it was in August, I really had some time to reflect and really understand that some of the great players and some of the great people that have come through since I've had the opportunity to lead the operation. And also looking, you know, when they start putting lists of, accomplishment for Oakland A's players. I look on, you know, when they put them on the TV or something, it's nice to see when they, you know, they list things that happen that, you know, maybe four of the five cases I've been fortunate enough to be around for that or be, be the, be the, uh, the general manager. And so it's, it's, it's humbling. Uh, I, I, I said, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not overly nostalgic person, but I would definitely say that I'm incredibly proud of the people that, that I've been around over the last, 20 something years and the idea again i, I gotta also say that unfortunately or, or fortunately i'll still be around in some capacity just in sort of officially a lot less uh, in a, in a lot lesser role and uh and, and again one of support as opposed to you know sort of being the guy but chris you've been me and you've known each other since forever and uh, you know I've, I've always hopefully tried you know I've, I've tried to you know sort of 
keep stay grounded with everything that's gone on. And I've kept a lower profile certainly over the last 10 or 12 years as much as possible. And again, now this just sort of makes it official and uh, memorializes it uh, really. But I'll, I'll be around whether that's good or bad, but I'll, I'll still be around. And I've got way too much A's gear in my closet to ever uh, uh, to ever do anything else, to be honest with you. Yeah, I asked him that question. And, um, you know, out of, out of just total respect. And I also asked him this question. Because, I, I mean, being around it all these years and, you know, other writers want to get there. I already know I already know how the, the relationship is between David and Billy and how it works. I You know, other people were asking that. I wanted to ask a little more because I knew for this show today, selfishly, I'd want to play these. Um, you know, kind of my opening, would you call it a monologue that I did? Yeah. Why not? In the opening monologue, I talked about how, I mean, Billy changed baseball. He made people, as Eno said, I'm a nerd. He made being a nerd cool. He made being a nerd cool in baseball. Billy brought all these people, uh, someone like Cody, who wants to be in baseball because of Billy Bean, right? Correct, yes. Um, I mean, I read I my- mean, I just thought, I, th- I, I wouldn't say you're a nerd. I, I mean, to me, you were oozing cool, just, I mean, women all over you. I mean, you were... Yeah. You, I mean, you were the player of players, so I wouldn't put you in the nerd cool in baseball. I have a very extensive dating history, so that's that's what you it have is. multiple marriages. I dated two women in my life, and I married both. Great so idea! That, Great so, idea! <laughs> so there you go. But yes, uh, but I read Moneyball. I was a fan of the A's when I was a kid because I loved Giambi and Tejada and Zito and Hudson and Mulder watching from afar because. They were interesting, and then you learn more about what Billy did with Moneyball, and you read the book, and then I wrote a couple of papers in college and Sportscom about Moneyball and what Billy's meant to baseball, and I used to argue with people, and they're like, well, he hasn't won. Okay, but look what teams like Tampa are doing. This is 10 years ago. Look at teams like Tampa are doing, spending the money, and, and they're trying to find the inefficient market inefficiencies in players. And, yeah, Billy for sure has been a huge reason why I got into baseball. Then just seeing him around in the office is, is a treat every, time, every once in a while when I do see him in the office. So, because of that, I asked him about all the new executives and how all these new executives always attribute that you know some of their success and when and why they got into the business because of him. Well, I first and foremost, I had the opportunity to be hired by sort of the guy at the top of this, and that was Sandy Alderson. So I'm incredibly grateful for him and the owners that I've worked for that gave me that opportunity. But secondly. I said this last week at gym meetings uh, was that uh, I'm glad I started 25 years ago because the group of guys that are now running teams now, I'm not sure I would have lasted 25 years because it's such an incredibly bright and, you know, just an amazing group of executives now. And I am proud that that's where we are now. It's, it's more dynamic, it's more diverse. There's, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Kim Ng is running the club, a university of Chicago graduate. And the great thing is, is, I think the game, in some sense, executive position has become a meritocracy. You know, the best and the brightest are, are getting these jobs. And I don't necessarily, and I think that's great. And, and I've, I've said this many times before, and, you know, 10 years I won't be able to apply for this job. And I think that's the, the progress we've made. And there's still a lot of progress that we continue to need to continue to make. But there's, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing group of smart executives, not just at the top of the baseball operations, but all the way down. And I'm, I'm 
that if I've had any part in that, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and, and I'm grateful that uh, I, I could be a part of that. But uh, it is an impressive group, that's for sure. And, you know, we got we got some right here in Oakland and, and David and Dan and, and Pike and David Jackson and Haley Alvarez and I go on and on. And Billy Owens and, of course, Bo, my other right-hand guy for the last 20 years. Listen to that. All those years that the, the same people in baseball operations – Year after year after year, load that up. Because I asked this question, too. This was my last question to him. It was about continuity, loyalty. It's been a hallmark of the A's. I don't think it's a hallmark of any of the other 29 clubs. Very few places. I know the Raiders were like that under Al Davis for a while. Very few teams, though, have this loyalty to their people where a Keith Lipman lasts for 54 years. A Steve Vucinich is 52 years. Pam Pitts is going on many, many years. I, should, I was just texting her. I should ask her how many years she's been here. Don't want to bring it up. But <laughs> he just mentioned Billy O, over 20 years. David Forrest, over 20 years. Eric Kubota. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. It's one thing that's great about this organization, working for this organization, especially in baseball ops. It's a family. And loyalty and continuity, it matters. Which I think it's one of the reasons you know we've been able to sustain success over a long period of time in a, a business and a game that's changed. I think you know the bedrock here for us and in, in, in the baseball operations has been that loyalty. I again, it's I, again I, I'm going to always refer to Sandy a lot in my career, but it started with Sandy, and I'd like to think uh, myself and David have continued that. And it's something, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud that, that people internally also recognize it, know that that's important to all of us. So, I mean, you mentioned Pam and, and Eric Kubota and all these. I mean, again, I, I think it's uh, – I'm really proud that I've been able to work uh, with these people for this many years. And, uh, you know, they, at first they become work colleagues and they become incredibly close friends. So uh, I've been very, very fortunate that the, the, the culture that we've – uh, had here in Oakland has always been very, very special. And people, you know, listen, they, I'm always proud of the people. It was hard. Yeah, listen, I almost had to kick Farhan out the door, you know. Uh, and, you know, he was he, he was almost, more than ready to go do what he did and obviously do what he's doing. You know, JP, Ricciardi, and, you know, Grady, and people who've, uh, Paul D. Podesta, who, uh, you know, we've had an amazing group, but they, they didn't just, they didn't easily leave. And I think, uh, Again, that all started with the culture that Sandy started when, when the team was purchased from the Oz family and has been carried through over multiple ownership groups. And and uh, and now, you know, you look at the leadership in baseball DAs, I, one thing I was always proud of, I mean, there, you, had, you had the guy at the very, very top of the food chain and Connie Mack and you had you know, uh, Charles Finley for a few years and you had Sandy and, and, and myself. It's not a real long, long list. And uh, so I didn't start it, but I'm proud of the fact that I've been able to continue it. And some moves have just been made. The A's have non-tendered Deolis Guerra. We never knew him. He's never pitched for us because he had to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, Jared Koenig, who obviously, if you remember back, I know real well. I know his father real well. And then David McKinnon, who did not hit at all. He hit in Las Vegas a little bit. But they are non-tendered. They are free agents. Doesn't mean the A's can't bring them back. I could see Koenig being brought back. Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, what does that do? Roster flexibility, folks. And the A's now have three open spots 
on the 40-man roster. We'll try to see if anyone else was – any other news has come out from other teams non-tendering, but doesn't look like anything yet. No news on Bellinger. Before we get to Joe Madden, I want to play one last one because it's amazing. This memory, this day, this time frame in our lives, it's as a sports memory, it's hard to say it's not your favorite. It's, it was, it, it's weird. Like you could say, what about the championships? And what about 2012 was just mad. If you lived it and you were around it and you were there every day, the magic of 2012 is real. Billy Bean on his favorite A's memory. My favorite day in this job, and I and I almost when it was happening, I I think I always, I wish I could say it was when we held up the World Series trophy, but uh, but it was actually uh, 2012, that last day of the season uh, where we we clinched that division. That that was really an incredible incredible day, an incredible year, and uh, for some reason that one, if I were to name one day, and again I know I'm forgetting some. I've been very lucky, but uh, that day really stands out for me. I remember thinking that if I never had this job another day, that uh, that, that that it'd be okay because that was just an amazing day season. I remember me and Bob Melvin sitting there in, in August because we were supposed to lose 105 games that year, and nobody cared about us, and uh, all the way up till about the last week of the season. And in fact, I think the the, the amazing thing about that year was. We never once spent the regular season one day in first place, which is, and yet we won a division. And so that, that day stands out for me as much as anything. I thought it was a pretty special day to see the crowd sold out, just going crazy. And uh, so that, 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 I would say that one. But again, I don't know if that was what you're looking for, but and maybe it's an yeah. odd one, but it sticks out for me. Yeah. I think there's no question. We'll all feel that. Well, Yesterday, we were able – and remember, Billy's not gone. He's still around, and we'll get him – I don't know. We'll either get him next week. I'll ask him if he wants to do it this week. He may want to do it before the winter meetings. Yeah, we had. I mean, we talked to him at the winter meetings last time he was there. I remember we had him for a good, like – well, we always talked to him for at least, like, 20 minutes. But I remember having him while we were down there. Well, technically, he'll have more time now. Yeah, maybe that's, I'll, that's true. Maybe I'll – we'll save it for the winter meetings. I would still – yeah, maybe just reach out and ask if he's – Cool to do it then. Okay. All righty. Yesterday, Joe Madden, three-time manager of the year, two-time World Series champion, one as a manager and one as a coach, now has a book out. The Book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Life, at Baseball and Life. Can't wait to read it. Really looking forward to reading the book. He did it with Tom Verducci, also friend of the program. You need to get Tom on to promote the book. I was going to reach out. I usually email Tom, so it'll be easy. He's an email guy? I, I don't like to bother him with the I, – I always email Rosenthal, too, because then you know they get it for sure because they all check emails because they think, oh, well, I'm going to see what my sources are sending me because so I send them emails. Okay. Him and Rosenthal are the only ones I send emails to. All right. Uh, so Tom Verducci, Joe Madden, they've done a book, The Book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. And he joined me right here on A's Cast Live. Now joining us here on A's Cast Live, and it's great to have him back on the A's airwaves. The great Joe Madden is with us from Chicago as he has his new book out with Tom Verducci. How are you? I am well. I am. I'm a little cold in Chicago. We had a great, two great events yesterday, one at the Union League and one at Anderson's Bookstore in Downers Grove. So I'm having a good time. 
Well, I got to think when you're back in Chicago, I mean, the man that broke the curse, it's got to be pretty special for you. It is. I mean, you're reminded constantly. And these people here are uh, the way I could describe Chicagoans. They're both tough and sweet at the same time. I really enjoy my conversations. Um, I'm going to head out the door in a little bit, and I'm certain I'll be stopped when I walk over to the mall here. Uh, just they, they, they're very grateful. Uh, they, they recap it, recount it so clearly. It means so much to them. I, and you just, you just got to stay open and listen, man. It, the people here are truly grateful, and I'm grateful for them. You know, you, you, the, the book, the book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. You know, Tom Verducci, we've had him on the program many times. He's a brilliant writer. He's turned in to be such a great broadcaster, too. He's one of the top journalists in our game. Why did you guys come together? How did it go about? And when did you decide that you wanted to write a book? Well, we had, uh, first of all, I decided like in 2008, after we went to the series with the, with the uh, Rays, people were uh, approaching me, but I knew I didn't have enough cachet built up. I didn't think it was the right time. Won the World Series in 16 and then concluded with the Cubs in 19. And I ran into Tom and I brought it to his attention. I said, what do you think about this? He was open to it, obviously. And we talked about premise and that would be the compare contrasting managing in the 1980s to present times. And then also the madnisms, and as it turned out, they had each chapter. So, wow, it was easy. I recorded about 100 hours by, while I was riding a bicycle in, in Mesa, Arizona during the pandemic and sent it to him daily. And he would come back to me with direction and eventually turned out to this. And I know I picked the right guy. He is as brilliant as you, as you described. You know, it's so interesting about mm-hmm. your career, and I know we've talked about it before, but all the years in the minors – and then we got to know you when you were with Mike Sosha and all those great years with the Angels. And, and, and then, of course, the Rays, which was now changing baseball, a new way to play the game. Then you go to the historic Cubs, and now you're with a big market, big money team. So just talk about how in your career you've seen it all from the minors to the big market to the analytics. You've seen it all. I've been grateful for that. I think it's really important. Um, a lot of guys aren't doing that anymore. I mean, that's pretty much the way you had to do it back then. Um, and I still think it's the right way. This is not a guy that's 68, going to be 69 speaking right now. It's just the right way to do things. You need a base. You need a foundation. I had great mentors. For me, it was Bob Clear uh, at that particular time. Uh, Ron Plaza was the guy with the A's at that particular time. Um, there was uh, Guy Wellman with the Dodgers, Jimmy Snyder with the Cubs, Mr. Bob Kennedy with the Giants. I mean, all these guys were like pretty much that organization and how everything was taught. Uh, from the bottom up. And I loved it. I love Bob Clear was my mentor with the Angels. Of course, I had Marcel Lachman. I could go on and on. But these are the guys that helped me learn to think in regards to baseball and how to process my information, what I thought was important. And then eventually you get the opportunity to keep moving forward to the point where I do arrive in the big leagues. But I, I'm very grateful for that struggle and the fact that it took me so long to get here uh, because it, it does matter. It does matter. I have a, a more complete outlook. I was a scout also. So I'm grateful for all these things that permitted me to eventually get to the big leagues as a manager. Analytically speaking, I was doing that for Soch and Terry Collins and even Marcel prior to become, before it became popular. Didn't call it analytics, called it information. I was working off stat sheets and I would try to um, call it down to the point where it was presentable in the dugout. I used to post things on the wall. I mean like long legal size sheets of information that I would glean from from all kinds of stuff, scouting reports, um, just from stat sheets, from spray charts, uh, my own observation. And that would be on a dugout wall prior to every game. So I'm into it, absolutely into it. 
And um, uh, so when it came to the point where I got to the raids, Andrew said, listen, I don't want you having to do all that stuff every day. Let's assign this to different people and we'll do it for you, which was great. But I still like doing my own work because once you write something down, you have a much greater chance of remembering it. So the more work you did on your own, the greater it stuck. So that's just a brief uh, background in regards to how it got to that point. And, um, and yeah, it was when I got to the raise, it really blew up in a good way. Well, I mean, obviously, we're the organization that really made it all popular with the book Moneyball and then the movie with Brad Pitt and Billy Bean. So we've gone all through that. But I've told people like Branch Rickey back in the day with the Dodgers was basically using his form of analytics. This is not right, something right. that's new. But in my career, I've been very lucky, whether it's traveling in Major League Baseball. I worked in the NFL, also in the NBA. The one thing I do know, and I learned it more than ever, was you know getting the relationship with Bob Melvin and really getting to know Bob and that people need to understand at, at, at the top level, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, there has to be the leader there. I always say there has to be the guy at the front of the bus, at the front of the plane, the guy that leads the ship. And I learned that being in a people business and being able to take care because these athletes, they got problems just like we do. They got problems on the field. They got problems off the field. Somebody has to be there. Somebody has to be the communicator. Bob Melvin obviously is one of the best in the business. I know it means a lot to you, the relationship with the players and everybody in the organization. It's like we're forgetting that we're in the community. You know, communication is a huge part of our business. Yeah, it's evolved to the point where people uh, pretty much only recognize uh, bullpen decisions. I mean, every time you hear about criticism post-game, it's always about bullpen decisions. Yeah. And that is just a minute part of what occurs. And, and furthermore, bullpen decisions sometimes go awry because the other team's good too. Um, so that's, that's, I think, par- a product of how the game's reported. Uh, whether it's through media purposes or even social media, it's always about bullpen guys who are held to an impossible standard. Of perfection what it really comes down to is like you're uh, insinuating is that it's the relationships you build within the clubhouse which communication not only with your players your coaches your front office and your fan base we have to do the media several times a day and yeah you're right it uh, the buck has to stop somewhere right and whether it's the front of the bus the front of the plane and the, your description is right on um this guy has to answer to all of these different moments and that's it i mean i again i, I don't think it's uh really um recognized enough or spoken about enough or understood enough all that goes into managing a major league baseball club and what you do on a daily basis is much more deep than when to bring in the right uh, relief pitcher you know we're, we're getting the book it's being sent to us and i can't wait cool, to read cool. it and you know i'm gonna tell a lot of our listeners that you know at this time of the year joe we're looking for christmas gifts right what do we give baseball fans what to give people they don't have it sounds like this book would be an ultimate christmas gift and one of the things that i think that's always been uh that we've known about you it's about helping people just not your own players that's just something that it's like a gift that you have talk about how you've always felt that you want to give back to people and help other people. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think we all, we all need to be in that uh, moment. Um, it's just something in bred of me from where I came from in Pennsylvania, my, my mom and my dad, my, the, the nuns that taught me the, the community that I was raised in. And I'm still there. I just, I just left there. I was just there for most, once I got let go by the angels, I was there the remaining of the summer. Um, yeah, it's all about that. It's all about giving back. It's all about, uh, passing it along, however you want to describe it. And, uh, so I'm very grateful that I, I received that uh, whatever that that thing within you that that wants you to do that and based by uh, upon the people that I had been with before, 
And so, yeah, it's, it's something that's, that's very important to me. Uh, we have the foundation, the Respect 90 Foundation, and uh, it's got a pretty large umbrella. We started with primarily um, helping the homeless through Thanksgiving dinners. We've also then evolved into the Hazleton Integration Project. Back in Hazleton, we have our own building, the Hazleton Community Center. I just had a book signing there recently where we've attempted to uh, bring together the Hispanic and Anglo cultures within my hometown. In Chicago, where I'm at right now, we did a lot of boxing, youth boxing for the Crushers Club on the south side here and city boxing, uh, youth boxing of Chicago. We raised over 500,000 bucks for them. Through that, we've done pediatric cancer stuff regarding shaving of our head in spring training. One year, <laughs> once one spring training, the Cubs, just the Cub players alone, in an hour donated, uh, was, I don't know, it was close to 100,000 bucks that eventually turned into a room at the Banner Health there in uh, Mesa where kids getting cancer treatment can go for their treatment and then post-treatment to get a gift. I mean, uh, it's a lot of stuff uh, that we've, we've uh, uh, encountered and it's been very gratifying and I'm very fortunate that I was raised by the people that I was that makes me want to do things like this. Well, let's really bring it to life. Cody, my producer, Cody, come on here uh, and tell Joe how he's inspired you. Yeah, Joe. So I use a meditation app called Vision Pursue, and your quote, Try Not to Suck, has been a huge part of that since I started that in 2017. And one of your um, madamisms is about seeing everything with first-time eyes, and they say yeah. new eyes and that. So those are two things that I've lived by for the last five years. And the Try Not to Suck pops up every once in a while as a daily visionary thing. And I love that quote. I tell people all the time. I tell my wife about it. So um, I just want to thank you for putting that quote out there and in, in, in the app for using it because it, it's meant a lot to me the last five years. Thanks, Cody. And, and just to expand upon that, I appreciate that. Um, within the book, I talked about the comparing and contrasting of managing from 80s to present day. The other part is all the madnisms. Each each chapter begins with something like that. Um, uh, see with first time eyes, feel with first time passion. Uh, tell me what you think, know what you've heard. Um, uh, try not to suck is, is one of them. Embrace the target. Uh, uh, whatever you put out there comes back to you. All these things. I wanted it to be more than just a baseball book. I wanted to apply to personal life on a daily basis. And you're validating that. And I appreciate that code. I, I, um, it's something that's very important to me. I didn't want it just to be little Joey grew up on 11th street and played baseball. Then eventually went to the Cubs. And they won the World Series. So don't forget uh, heard, football. You played a little quarterback back in the day, I believe. That's how I got to college, man. Uh, Pennsylvania high school Friday night lights, man. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Uh, first game started against Berwick when I was a sophomore. That's a moment you'll never forget. And that's how I got to Lafayette College because of that. Then eventually it morphed into a baseball career, and then it turned into Madnisms. And now I'm here talking to you guys. Uh, it's a very, uh, it's been a wonderful ride to this point. I wanted to continue. Uh, but I, I built up uh, different thoughts, philosophies along the way, and that's part of why I wanted to do this book to pass that stuff along also. Yeah, well, let's end on this. My, my old head coach at San Jose State just went into the uh, San Jose Hall of Fame, won a lot of games, got us into the College World Series, and he was all about keeping things simple. He always used the KISS mm -hmm. system, keep it simple, right. stupid. And your madnisms are all very simple, but simple – really reaches everybody. Why is that so key to keep it simple in your teachings? Yeah, mine's do simple better. That's that's what I came up with a couple of years ago. Why? Because everybody believes an answer to a question needs to be convoluted or complicated. And and people fail to just real to realize just reduce, 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 and get this to the simplest form. Get it to that nugget that makes most sense to me that could remind me 
about all these different layers or factors about whatever it is I'm trying to attack or get better at. So I've, I did the do simple better approach um, in a hot moment in a baseball game as an example. You cannot, you're not going to recall. Your, your body should be on autopilot at that point. But if you get out there on the mound, if you're in the batter's box and, and things get a little bit quicker, you're just bad pitch or a bad swing, whatever, you have to have a nugget and you have to have something to go to the breath as your anchor, whatever it takes. And it's a simple thing, but uh, we've been taught to think that the answers have to be complex or convoluted. I'm exactly the opposite. Well, word on the street is the golf game's pretty good. Getting better. And that is, that's, there's a perfect example. One swing thought, right elbow tuck. That's it. That's it. That's all I'm at right now. And I've gone through everything all summer. I can't sit here and talk to you right now and watch TV simultaneously and give both uh, all my attention. You've got to focus on one thing at a time and preferably something small, not something large and complicated. Well, the book of Joe, try not to suck at a baseball at baseball and life. I can tell you, we will pump this and try and sell as many as possible. Like I said, I think it will make a great Christmas gift. Uh, You're a treasure in our game. You've been good to us over the years. I hope you manage again. But if not, there's so much that you can do in life and helping people. But it's an honor to have you on the program. Good luck with everything and have great holidays. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, it's really an honor. My best to everybody out west. I'm going to be in Arizona soon, and then maybe I'll get up to uh, the, the, the Bay Area to do some signing in the near future. But, again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you. Joe Madden. He's inspired you. That quote, try not to suck, has been a big part of my meditation for the last five years. There's other ones, too. When are you going to live by it, by the way? What, not sucking? I think I do a nice job of that. Um, Joe Madden is, is I you know, a lot of the book, some of the book is going to get into the kind of, you know, the ebbs and flows of professional sports, right? You could say copycat league, but I just say that the things are always changing, right? And we went in a direction of, Everybody just wants to go off a spreadsheet. I'm not. That's not fair. Um, Here's the reality. Some people want to use the word analytics. Some people want to use the word data. But I can just give you one word that summarizes it all. It's information. It's information. And... Some people went all in on everything just has to be the information. And the information was king to anything else. But now the game is going back to, well, maybe that's not, as he said, information was bigger than the coaching. Coaching really wasn't mattering, right? And that's not even really fair to say. But it's just weird. The game just the game went so much into information, and every decision was based off just this information. And because you could say, "Well, what about this?" Well, no, that's not what the information says. The guy's got a broken leg, can't play. Doesn't matter. This is what the information says. And I'm just being dramatic there. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like the information says this. That this is where you go, and you could say, "Yeah," but there's other circumstances, and that superseded everything. And we're now getting the sense that baseball is starting to come back. Like even Jim Crane 
We're hearing that article from Jeff Passan. And I don't even know why we talk. You know, it's not good for our game that we harp on this all the time, by the way, because it's boring. It really, really, it inspired a generation. And I hate to say this because this really sounds awful, but the nerds felt involved now. Eno Sarah said it. I'm a nerd. And Billy Bean and Moneyball made nerds being cool in baseball. Information was cool in baseball. And then dinosaurs like me, guys that were, and I never played pro, but guys are pretty good in baseball, looked at those guys saying, you know, just because you have spreadsheets, you don't know your head from your ass. So there was this fight, right, between baseball people and information people. But the reality is that is such a small part of the game. You know who matters in the game? It's kind of like the election process, right? Republicans and Democrats, and what's well, the independents that matter? They're the ones who matter. They're the ones who really decide who wins or loses is the independents. You know who the independents are? No. People that go to the games, the fans. Oh, they were asking me the independents in the political spectrum. Uh, no. Well, independents would be people who are independents. Well, no, but they were you asking me if I, if, I, if I could name anyone. No, I didn't. <laughs> but the independents in, in this in this process are not the baseball people or the you know, it's the fans. The consumer. I want to show up with my kids. I want to watch the game. I want to have a hot dog. I want to have a beer. I want to, I want cotton candy. I want nachos. Dad, I want those nachos in the helmet. I want a shirt. I want a T-shirt. I want to watch the game. They hit a home run. They And then I go home. That's what they want. And we spend so much time. And as Joe Madden said right there, and I still think it's horrible, and I want to address this with Brian Kenny at the winter meetings. Is your first show after the World Series, you're talking about a pitching change. And didn't Joe just say that? Mm-hmm. We're talking about pitching changes. Do you think the day after the Super Bowl, they're talking about a decision that was made in the second quarter? Do you think NFL no. Network is doing shows based off a, a second, maybe the first couple somethings after, the, after halftime? No, most no. likely not. No. But that's what we do because we got to analyze the pitching changes. If our game has become about pitching changes, that's not a good way to sell your game. Should be about the stars. Should be about the stories. Like it was fun talking about Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. You had two great talents. You got a two-way player that we've never seen before, and we have another guy that looks like a Greek god hitting 62 home runs. That's what we should be talking about. That's baseball, not pitching changes. And hopefully our game is going to get back to more selling the game. It's a game. Like, we forget about it. Like, it's a game. It's funny. When we're out playing golf with the guys that I play with and we're struggling, I'll always joke, everybody shut up and have fun. It's a game. (laughs) We're supposed to enjoy this. We're supposed to go to the ballpark and enjoy it. It's a game. Watching guys play this game. We've now got so into – we've lost how to sell it. We've lost how to promote it. We need to go back to giving out free hats. Hats that just say A's. That's it. That's all you need. You need an A's hat. You need beach towels. Remember the barbecue set? Longtime A's fans, remember when they used to give away the barbecue set? Simple stuff. Go back to simple. This is what people want. This was a giveaway. Look, I still got it to this day. Brought to you by Ross. People love this. Buster Only from ESPN says it's a favorite part of our – this helmet 
makes you think of Gene Tennis and Burt Campanaris and all the guys. Reggie Jackson. So it makes you think of. And it's simple. Go back to promoting the fun of the game. And going to the old ballpark and smelling the grass and having peanuts and getting those smells and enjoying baseball. Because it's a game. I don't care what your ex-woba is. I was waiting for you to bring up ex-woba at some point. It's not my response. I'm not a general manager. What the hell? Do, and general managers don't even use ex-woba. They've got all their own fancy stuff that they use these days. I think that's the first question for David now. David, now that you're in charge and Billy's kind of not around as much, are you going to use ex-woba more? Do you use ex-woba already? What are your thoughts on it? Will you incorporate more of it, oh, all of God. us? Weighted runs created plus. Do you even know how it started? No. I don't even know, how, I don't even know what the formula is. Okay. Weighted runs created plus started from runs created. It's pretty simple, right? Actually, it was a really good idea. You you start, you come up with an equation about does this guy, this player, touch home plate? A lot. Now, I could use runs. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Whether you score runs or not. Yeah. But runs create, like, like, how does this guy, does this guy generate runs? Right? Does he help us score runs? Then you got to bring, we're going to weight it, and we're going to change the, it's a math equation. Remember, all these things, I can get the book. All these things are math equations. We really don't have time because the book's right there. I could get it. I could actually give you the equation for runs created, became weighted runs created, became weighted runs created plus, because now we got to be able to do it through all eras and ballparks and everything. Give me the formula. Uh, It looks like it's saying... WRAA per PA plus league runs per PA plus league runs per plate appearance minus ballpark factor times league runs per plate appearance divided by league weighted runs created per plate appearance, not including pitchers, times times 100. No. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? And these guys on MLB Network throw this out. His weighted run. Like, everybody acts like they know what weighted runs created plus is. You could give me the numbers because you can go to fan graphs. And then people will try and act smart, and they'll call the postgame show. Well, his weighted runs created plus. And all I got to say is, uh, what is it? Oh, I don't know. No, no. I mean, you're throwing these numbers around like you know what weighted runs created plus is. So you're going to jam it down my throat. Go back to it. Go back to it. You're going to jam it down my throat telling me why this player is good. I mean, even like our buddy Mike Farron threw it out on us one time. Yes. Okay. What's weighted run? Well, I know it weighted Well, what is it? Like, I need to know what is this number. Oh, I found out what WRAA means. It's weighted, weighted runs above average. So the next time you hear somebody trying to act like they're smart. See, that we don't do this on this show. We are totally honest. I know what weighted runs created plus is, but I don't know how you get it. So why should I be spouting off like this is the greatest metric of all time? Let's go back. Tell me the equation once again that when all these people in our sport use weighted runs created plus, they do not have this answer. All I got to say is you're giving me a number. Tell me exactly what it is. What is it? It's weighted runs above average per plate appearance plus league runs per plate appearance plus league runs per plate appearance minus ballpark factor times league runs per plate appearance divided by league weighted runs created per plate appearance, not including pitchers, 
times 100. Did you get all that? So next time you're listening to uh, our postgame show and someone wants to bring up Weighted Runs Created Plus, remember, they don't know how all that mumbo-jumbo works. They just know that produces a number. And because people have now told you that's the most dynamic number for an offensive player, that's the number you should use to judge somebody. How stupid is that? Do you, do you want to hear the formula for weighted uh, uh, your ex woba? My ex woba. Oh, I just unintentional get- walk factor times unintentional walk factor plus hit by pitch factor times hit by pitch factor plus single factor plus or times single plus double factor times double factor plus triple factor times triple plus home run factor times home run divided by at bat plus unintentional walk, plus sacrifice, plus hit by pitch. That's it? Yeah. Do you now understand? (laughs) Now, when Cody started working with me, Cody wanted to be one of those guys that would throw out these kind of numbers and act like he owned it. Correct? Uh, Yes. Now that you've worked with me, and we've gone through these processes. Now do you kind of see how I see? I'm not saying these numbers aren't valid. I'm just saying the way people try and use it, it's kind of silly because they don't even know how it works. Uh, yes. And what was the one thing that, anno- that not annoyed us, but a lot of people use this year to evaluate. We'll, we'll use him. What, it, what was the one thing we heard everyone say about Christian Pache this year? He oh, had a great so- expected batting average because <laughs> he hits the ball hard. Great. Cody Bellinger hits yeah. the ball hard, too. Uh-huh. What you're expected to do. Yeah, hey, uh, when you're betting on a football game on Sunday and that quarterback was expected to throw four touchdowns, <laughs> but he threw three picks, how are you going to feel when you lose your money? I'll give you one right now. Derrick Henry was expected to have, like, 17 points last night. He had 23. He went over his expected I average. T- I totally forgot there was a game last it's night. It's okay. He didn't miss much. Titans won by 10. Packers are Packers are. All I know is he came up big for me in Reno last Sunday. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was good. Christian Watson had two more touchdowns. The rookie receiver had two more touchdowns last night. Uh, But yeah, there was there was a game last night. It's okay. Is there is is football throwing out expected stuff now? Uh, They do a lot of their they do next gen stats, like a lot. But it's easy. Like how many yards the ball was in the air, and like um, yeah. How would you like for a running back? How could you expect him? I know what his average is. Uh, I understand what the other team gives up per game, but you don't know week to week how someone's pass defense, run defense, what adjustments they're going to make. You got no idea. None. You know, one week a guy throws four touchdown passes, the next week he throws three picks. I mean, you just you can expect all you want, but no one gives ga- – football is a game of gambling. Nobody in the gambling world cares what you expected yeah, to do. Like, it's about did you do it and did you cover? Like, here's the next-gen stat they use for the NFL, which, okay, this is actually not hard to calculate. Fastest ball carrier, Kenneth Walker, the running back from the Seattle Seahawks, a rookie, uh, from so maybe second year, from Michigan State regardless. He had the fastest carry of the year, 22 miles per hour in week seven on a So when he touch. had the ball, he was running 22 miles his, an his hour. Pe- his, I guess the max the max speed he hit was at 22 miles per that's hour. That's just, I mean, that's like, that's that's a radar. That's basically the same thing as how fast does a fastball come, come. Yeah. Or how, when you hit a golf ball, how hard is it going once it comes off the club? Like here's your, here's other ones. It's Lo- track man. Longest plays, fastest sacks, longest tackles, improbable completions, incredible yak. Uh, none of that is remarkable rushes. None of that is what 
expected. Or formula. But none of it's expected. Yeah. No, no, all of that is you're tracking its radar. There you go. Science. Here's one. The fastest sack was by Brandon Jones, uh, strong safety from the Miami Dolphins, who sacked the quarterback week one in 2.13 seconds. Set. Go. Sack. <laughs> yeah. Like he must have done a Troy Paul all over. Blue the, oh. 48, blue 695, blue 695, hut, hut, and the ball snaps. Hut, hut. One, two, you're sacked. Who did they play? That was against the Patriots. Did they? Now the question is. Did the center step on the quarterback? So once the when the center steps on a quarterback, it's not college football. Remember, when the center stepped on by his own player, he's not down. Yeah. So if he got around, touched him, is it one of that or was he actually sacked? That's a great Because you get credit for a sack. Great question. Because two seconds? A three-step drop is not even – I mean, that's getting a – th- a quarterback under center, which they're never under center anymore. But if he's under center, a three-step drop – Well, the Titans do. They run the ball all the time. Yeah, I mean, you're not – I mean, two two seconds is fast. So here's I'll give you the top. I'll give you the. I know this is not expected, but the top the top, top five fastest sacks of the NFL season so far. Brandon Jones, we mentioned two point one three seconds. Javon Holland, a free safety from the Dolphins, two point one seven seconds. That's a blitz. Uh, Dramont Jones from Denver, defensive end, two point two four seconds. That see, he's he's. There's a difference between you're coming forward momentum, you time the snap, you get through the gap and get the quarterback. Yeah. That makes sense. But when you're coming around the edge or you have to go through a lineman, man, two seconds is fast. Uh, Drew, uh, Drew Tranquil, the inside linebacker from the, the Los Angeles Chargers, 2.25 seconds. Nick Bosa from the 49ers defensive end, 2.3 seconds. That's fast. Yeah, I mean, he has to go through, I mean, he, either he just blew over the, the offensive lineman or the guy just tripped over himself. It, it still takes over a second to blow over a 300-pound man. Well, what's who they play week three? What 49ers week three? You know what I'm saying? You got somebody in front of you. You got to at least get past a human being. It takes it takes time. That was against Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. A game the 49ers lost 11-10. The expected batting average stuff is ridiculous. Uh, you can, it really is ridiculous. And the fact that. People are trying to. People are trying to sell that with Christian Pache. Just, 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 just look, and that's why it's so tough. And it could be tough on us. And it's one of the great things about work, working for the Oakland Athletics is the fact that they give us they give us our they give us our space, and they allow us to to be us and to be honest, and they allow me in the post game show to be real honest. Um, not that they allow, they just, they've never said, Hey, you talk about this or you do. They've never done that. They've said, you guys are professionals. We've hired you do what you do. I've always been like, and I would read it, right? Like, I'm not going to mention which, which guys they're going to know who they are, but they were, they were trying to sell Christian Pache unexpected batting average. And I'm sitting here going, Dude's hitting 107 in June. I mean, I was calling it out early going, this guy can't compete. You know, there's one thing, and it only lasts for a little bit now, where you can be hitting the ball better than the numbers. can be a little bit unlucky, especially with shifting. You can be a little bit unlucky. That's not going to last. No, no, no one played 20 years in the league and had crappy numbers because they were unlucky. 
Your unluck is only going to allow, eh, we'll give you a couple weeks. But this whole thing was like selling Pache. All he had to do was, the guy's hitting 160. I mean, it got so bad, I remember, in the month of June, because you can break down batting averages mm-hmm. per month. Batting average doesn't matter. Oh, it does when you're hitting 107. He was hitting 107 for the month of June. So basically what it, what it, what it told you was, was that he's not competitive. He's not. He's an easy out. And what they tried to do was because Christian Pache did do one thing, hit the ball hard on the ground. Now, the reality is you have the best fielders in the world. These shortstops at the big league level, when you hit a hard top spinning two hopper to the shortstop, it may be 98 miles an hour. And so on StatCast, it goes 98 miles an hour. He gets credit for a hard hit. So their equation is, look, he hit the ball hard. And because he hit the ball hard, that should have been a hit. So we can do an expected batting average. But Christian Pache literally rolls over on ground ball after ground ball to the shortstop that are two hoppers hit at 95-plus. A big league shortstop, boom, boom. It's a routine out, 6-3 every single day. You hit a hard two-hopper to the shortstop, boom, boom. To a shortstop, a 98-mile-an-hour two-hop grounder is routine, pitch and catch all day long. I'm writing 6-3 in the scorebook, and you're out. Two-hopper, one-hopper to the third baseman, you're out all day long. So you can stat cast me to death with that it was – what does it have to be, 95 or more to be hit, considered a yeah, hard hit? hard hit rate, yeah. So if it's 97 miles an hour and it was a routine, remember? Pache, I was bagging on this. I was, like, ripping people. Pache's at – I'll never forget this. He was at the plate. We're following it on Baseball Savant. Pache, it's a root, routine ground ball to short. StatCast said, hard hit ball. And I said, see, it's a fraud. These numbers are a fraud. Oh, the data doesn't lie. Yeah, it does. Because this was telling you he hit the ball hard. He hit a routine ground ball to shortstop that a big league shortstop 10 out of 10 times is making that play. That's why he has the job. But yet you'll take that number which is basically, it's radar, you're tracking how fast that ball went on the ground, and you're putting it, and you're saying, hey, hit it that hard. Uh, Hard hit balls, more times than not, are going to be hits than out. So his expected batting average, I mean, his expected batting average was like 300-something. It's actually, at the end of the year, it was 228. That's how bad he was. They expected 228. It's usually way higher. He saw nine. He saw 918 pitches. He batted the ball 174 times. He barreled six. This is an unfair comparison, but I'm going to do it anyway. Aaron Judge saw 2,906 pitches. He put 400 of them. Uh, he batted them, and he had 106 barrels, meaning every 26.5 to, uh, 26.5 percent of the time he barreled a ball. You know what Christian Pache's was? 3.4. That's a really fair comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give you. Hey, they're both center. F- hey, they're both center fielders. Can you name the top five? The top five guys in baseball and expected batting average leaders. No, and can I have? Can I have my defense? Because I remember when we checked it, Paul Goldschmidt was hitting like three forty, 
but his expecting his expected batting average was less than what he was hitting. Uh, and I, I'm gonna go all the way down to see what Goldschmidt's expected. Do you remember when we looked at that? Yeah, and it went went wait, what? He's hitting like 340, but his his expected batting average he, is like he, 305. He hit 317 for the year. His expected batting average huh. 261. Okay, I'd say I, then I I I don't understand how that works. Uh, I'll give you the top five. Jordan Alvarez hit 306. His expected batting average was 329. So why is his up and 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 Freddie Freeman 325 expected 313. Uh, Aaron Judge. Wait, wait, what? Three, three twenty-five batting average expected three thirteen. So it was less. Yes. His expected batting average was less. Aaron Judge's batting average was three eleven. His expected was less. At what did Jordan hit for the year? Three oh six. And what was his expected? Three twenty-nine. So his went up. Freeman and Goldschmidt's was down. Judge's was down. Uh, Tim Anderson hit three oh one. His expected three oh two. So his went up. And then three oh one to three oh two. Yeah. Oh, this is how stupid these numbers can be. Uh, and number five was Jose Abreu, 304 batting average. His expected was 296. Close your eyes. Now playing first base for the Oakland Athletics. I have no idea what his number is. The Cuban, Jose Abreu, and his beautiful gold necklaces. Can you just sense it? Can you feel it? Sounds like an Oakland A already. Jose Abreu. Oh, God, that'd be incredible. That's not going to happen. He's he's a possibility, right? Um, he's a free agent. Oh, that well, there it is. Cody Bellinger. The Dodgers plan to not. This is from Ken Rosen on Twitter. Oh, let me <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me make sure it's real because you know everyone can have a fake account now. No, it's really Ken Rosenthal. Dodgers plan to non-tender outfielder Cody Bellinger, making him a free agent. Sources tell the Athletic, team could still resign him for less than his projected arbitration salary, in the eighteen million dollar range. So there you go. Wait a minute. What? Okay. Okay. Let's let's just – how much time we got? Well, we're, we're already over. Okay. Let's just re- – I was at we got Cody- about – our timer ends in like eight minutes. Okay. Cody Bellinger last year hit 210 with an OPS of 654. 19 home runs, 68 RBIs, and 144 games. Once again – that is below replacement level, OPS of 654. What was his batting average? It was 210. His expected batting average, though, 213. <laughs> so not good. He stunk. There's uh, no way you're paying that guy okay. eight, 18 million? This could have been a fair. You'd be paying him a million a home run. This Okay, fair comparison for <laughs> Pache. Could have been Cody Bellinger. His bat barrel rate was 8.3%, where Pache's was like 34 and their expected batting averages. Pache actually is supposed to have an expected batting average higher than a former MVP. That MVP was a long time ago. That's 2019. He's a, uh, he's, he's a different player ooh. now. Sounds like an Oakland A already. Expected batting average is the dumbest thing ever. Can you imagine Bellinger's on in the A's dugout and they capture a picture of him this this the gif of him like this. He's just staring out in space. Where he looks like he's been smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would be interesting. Do you, what, what do you think the market is? Apparently the Cubs really want him. Someone tweeted that yesterday. The Cubs are very interested. Uh, the, the, the Cubs who thought it was brilliant to sign Jason Hayward to a $184 million deal. How great would it be that Bellinger goes to the Cubs and the Dodgers like, you know, we'll, we'll take a chance on Jason Hayward and he goes there and hits 280 next year. Jason Hayward could be an A. Yeah, he's on, he was on my list of the, uh, who sounds like an Oakland A already. Why, why, why I mean, who... 
Who really is going to say, yeah, I'm giving that guy money? He was a flop. Flop. Stealing money. Steal. Not his fault. I mean, he got the money. The Cubs are stupid. Theo Epstein should not be allowed in the Hall of Fame based on that deal alone. Uh, his his numbers with the Cubs uh, last year, so 2022, he had 204, one home run, 10 RBI, and 500, 556 OPS and 137 at-bats. No, he's good career numbers. Wait, he, he he had one home run and hit two or four last year. Yeah, he only played. He only had 137 at bats. Why? I think he was hurt. Sounds like an Oakland A already. We're gonna have an outfield of Bellinger, Hayward. Up, oh, according to Bob Nightingale, Dodgers have reportedly expressed interest in Kevin Kiermeyer. There's your defensive set of filler. He can't hit either. He can't hit at all. Well, sounds like an Oakland A. No, he doesn't. No, it doesn't. Can you imagine that? If you had Pache and Kiermaier in the same outfield, I mean, you'd, and Bellinger, you'd have like no offense. But you have the you have no a, offense. You imagine hit them two. Okay, put Seth Brown out there. Pretty good defensive outfield. One guy can hit a little bit. Hey, Seth Brown. At the end of the Seth Brown, if if Seth and it's an if, Seth Brown finished very strong. You Seth did. Brown was. You know, and that's the one thing I'd like to talk about, the difference between the Rays and the A's, and that's why everybody we talk to basically will tell you off the air that they hate playing for the Rays uh, and why they like playing for the A's. Seth Brown, once you start hitting, you start playing, okay, you can prove you can hit. Josh Reddick, you prove you can hit some lefties, you're going to play. Seth Brown started playing every day because he earned the right. He earned that right. By starting to produce against left-handers. Seth Brown could be that guy that next year, you know, what if if he's a 30-home run guy? We're not expecting him to win a batting title, but what if he's respectable and hits 30 bombs and is flexible? Right. I don't want to see him in center field. I really don't want to see that. No. I, mean, I know he can play it in an emergency situation. By the way, did you see our old center fielder, Mark Canna, on some uh, food show with Patty LaBelle? I did not. You got to look that up. Patty, La- The famous Patty LaBelle was eating um, some type of uh, Keelan pie or something like that with our own Mark Canna on some like Food Network show. Interesting. All right, before we go, Mike right. Petrell, our friend on Twitter, tweeted this. There's probably 20 teams who should, who should want to take a flyer on Cody Bellinger. Should, not which, will, should. Which, which is why why he'll get a bigger 2023 salary than you think. Like if you're the Tigers, the A's, there. Marlins, and then he put in all caps, Rockies, dear God, Rockies, even center field needy contenders like Blue Jays or maybe even Phillies, you're thinking it. So he put the A's in there, so you're telling me there's a chance. Put it out into the universe. Cody Bellinger in Oakland A. We'd have the Cody Bellinger show. Interesting. You want me to host it, Cody and Cody? The code, the codes? <laughs> As Joe Madden called you, code. Yeah, that's true. Only my mom and dad call me that. All righty. That'll do it. We want to thank, well, we want to say congratulations to Billy Bean on his new job with the Oakland Athletics. Congratulations to David Force, who fully takes over full-time uh, running the entire show with the Oakland A's as the general manager. We'd like to thank Eno Saris from Fieldwork Brewing, our national 
baseball columnist from The Athletic and the great Joe Madden and his book, The Book of Joe. Let me, let me get it right here. The Book of Joe, try, trying not to suck at baseball in life will make a great Christmas gift. We'll be back Monday at 1 o'clock. What do we got? Hopefully Sandy Alderson working on Ooh. that. Sandy Alderson and much more. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be following everything. A lot of news is coming down in baseball. We'll recap it all on Monday. Oakland Athletics spring training is right around the corner, and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics, and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com spring. That's athletics.com spring. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.